Hey everybody, episode 88 of the Rado Talks Your Podcast is brought to you by Elf Creek Games and their latest bit of hotness, the Paradox Initiative, which was a game that I covered when it was on Kickstarter a few months ago. It's successfully funded and I'm so happy because it is such a wonderful, fun and puzzly sci-fi game. Uh, the core of it is all about studying these alien planets by using the Paradox Engine, which is a grid of bejeweled style tokens that you are trying to manipulate to get matching patterns patterns to score lots of points, basically. The gameplay is wonderfully puzzly and fun, but the game itself is so gorgeous looking because it has the biggest collection of hot board game artists the industry has ever seen, each of them um, illustrating a new unique planet. So the game is drop-dead stunning, just as good-looking as it is fun to play. And it is now available, if you missed the original campaign, for late backers now. If you want to know more, go to paradox.rado.com and you can find out if it's a good fit for you, or check out my run-through. And thank you Elf Creek Games for supporting the show, and let's get to it now. Hey, everybody. Okay, um, this is going to be a pretty straightforward episode. Although, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice I go through some ch-ch-ch-changes. I'm starting out all nice and clean-shaven, but I actually filmed, live-streamed the game portion, the game questions portion, a few days ago on Twitch, and I was not clean-shaven then. So, uh, I'm going to go through a, a, a dizzying array of looks over the course of this. But, as always, first, it's going to be me talking about... Um, a a bunch of game questions that you have submitted to questions at raw.com. Then Jen will show up. She'll have a few game questions thrown her own way. And then we'll hit a whole bunch of personal stuff to round it out. And as always, folks, this show relies on you. Please send questions to questions at raw.com. There's a link for it down in the show notes so that we can get ready for next month. I had a lot of fun filming. There's some really good thought-provoking stuff. The personal Q&A revealed some sides of my wife I didn't know and we have been married since 1991, if you can imagine such a thing. So uh, sit back, get comfortable, and hopefully you enjoy this latest episode right after this. Okay, everybody, let's get going with the questions. First off, we have got Chris, who says, I recently picked up a copy of the original Shadowrun Crossfire from my local game store in a clearance sale. That is awesome. I think it's worth paying full price for, but I'm glad you got a bargain. Seems it's meant to be played like a legacy game with a structure that seems a bit confusing to me. We just play our first mission over and over until we feel strong enough for the later few. I know... Uh, continues Chris. This is one of your favorites, so I thought you might have an opinion on how to approach this. Do I need to pick up the expansion content? Thanks. Um... Uh, for folks who don't know, Shadowrun Crossfire is my number two highest ranked game of all time. It is an absolutely brilliant cyberfunk... Uh, oh! Cyberfunk! I said cyberfunk um, because it's it's cyberpunk crossed with fantasy. It's a cyberfunk! That's totally what I almost accidentally said a second ago while keeping my show clean. Um, it's a cyberfunk game. Wow, that's just dangerous to try and say out loud. And um, I, I'm not there for the subject matter, but it's an incredibly fast-paced, 30-minute-long cooperative game that is one of the most brutal and unforgiving co-ops the industry has ever seen. A fun, fast little deck building game um, where players have to work so close together and it just makes you rethink strategy you've learned from every other co-op you've ever played, and I love it to pieces. And uh, Chris is right. It's not a leg. It does have legacy elements. Officially, you could call it a legacy game, because if you keep playing... If I recall correctly, the base game comes with like three or four different missions you can choose. And the, one, and the base mission, the Shadowrun mission... 
is, or, or maybe it's the Crossfire mission, whatever. The, the base mission is, I'll tell you right now, Chris, I've played this game probably... 70 or more times, I have only ever played. I've never played the Ambulators or the... I forget what the other ones are. I know there's like a, an escort mission, and then there's a dragon and stuff like that. I've never played any of that stuff. Uh, you know, to me, those are just bonuses. Somewhere down the road, I'll get to them. But it's like I've never played. I mean, I've played Dominion dozens and dozens of times too. People have played Magic the Gathering millions of times, and none of them ever say, "Boy, I wish Magic the Gathering would have a completely different scenario I could play." Just the core mission for Shadowrun Crossfire is infinitely replayable, even without the expansion. Although there's some very, very cool stuff in the expansion. Some new missions, which again, I've never played any of them and I don't care about them. I just cared about all the extra cards that you can uh, deck build with. So that was all very cool. But um, as you keep playing, whichever mission you play, if you win, you earn, I think they're called karma points, which are basically experience points. And it's a very, very slow drip feed where, you know, once you have like, once you've won maybe 20 games or something like that, you can level up and put one sticker. Games comes with all these sheets of stickers you can put on your character sheet. And as you get stronger and stronger, they uh, you have to modify the mission so that they get tougher and tougher to beat you. And um, it's and you do all this because the ultimate mission, defeating the dragon, uh, which I'm sure is some big uh, important dragon in the lore of that world, you have to be literally level 50. I have played not quite 100 times, and if I recall correctly, we're somewhere in our, tw- our mid-20s or 30. So I would still have to keep going. I have never once been bored with a game of Shadowrun Crossfire just playing the base mission. I have unlocked the other ones if I wanted to play them. We have put several stickers on, but I'm just as happy to go back and play as a completely novice character without any leveling up at all because it's just an infinitely replayable cooperative game. So the main thing I have to advise you, Chris, if you do want to play it as intended... Think up, don't think about this as a lot of people complain that Shadow and Crossfire, oh, it takes so long to level up. And it's like, you're not supposed to feel that way. Leveling, I mean, it's just every time you play, you're just a little bit closer. It's supposed to feel less like a legacy board game and more like a massively multiplayer online game. Did you ever play EverQuest? I mean, it took you, it could take you months until you could level up to the next level or whatever it might be. And then it was like a huge deal when you did and you got a new thing and all that. That's what the game is intended to feel like. So if you go with the flow, I think you will find it engaging. Um, But me, I would have happily played all those games without any leveling up whatsoever. But I do find it makes every single game I play, win, lose, or abort, uh, which is is kind of like a semi-win, more meaningful because I know I'm just scoring just a few extra little points to get me just a little bit closer. And, you know, as an old-school EverQuest player, I appreciate that. Now, of course, what you could also do is say, to heck with it. I'm just going to say I'm level 50 right now and just apply stickers you want. But uh, I think you'd be robbing yourself of some of the joy of the game. So, And also, the expansion is very, very difficult to get. It's nice, but it is not necessary. Um, I have mixed all those cards in with the base, but if I hadn't, I don't think I'd be missing them too terribly much. Try the game out. See if you're going to fall in hard in love with it as we did, and then you might find that it's worth seeking out the expansion, which I think commands fairly high prices. Because it's so long out of print. So anyway, that's some Shadowrun Crossfire talk. Alrighty. But then Chris continued with a second email. Hi. I was wondering, how does one become a contributor to the channel? It seems like so far, the path would be to form one's own channel and try to demonstrate a good ability to demo and explain games. And then, um, have you noticed them somehow? Probably by building a big enough following. That's kind of it. Um, I mean, you don't have to just hopefully um, get noticed. I mean, you can reach out. But honestly... The growth of the Rotto Runs Through channel, you know, bringing on contributors, doing additional things, 
All of that stuff has been driven by my channel manager, a friend of mine I've known for years who eventually, he kept pestering me to start trying to take the channel more seriously. So I said, well, you do it and you become my channel manager. And so he handles all of that. His number one criteria is, has the person been going at this for a while? Because what he doesn't want to do is, oh, somebody who's just excited, loves my show, and says, oh, I could do it too, pick up a camera, do a test, and then finds out a couple months later, yeah, this isn't for me, and they stop. He only wants people who are in it for the long haul. Ones who can go the distance. And um, so uh, his kind of his first metric is, hey, they have to have been running their channel for at least a year and show that they are serious about this. And if so, then uh, take a look at the look at their videos look and see if it seems like they've got what it takes to be able to communicate with the same kind of spontaneous, just off the cuff, uh, patter that I do while still being, you know, high energy and positive. Because those are kind of the hallmarks of my channel. Uh, you know, there are plenty of people out there who rip stuff apart. You'll never see me do it. Because if I don't have something nice to say, I don't say anything at all. So that's kind of what we're generally looking for. And it's really, um, you know, so it's more than anything else a question of, hey, if you've really put in the time, then contact us and we'll take a look. Alrighty. Daniel, moving on, says, One, what has changed after YouTube hid the dislike counter for your channel? Did your videos start getting less dislikes or something else? No. I mean, my, my, I've, I've generally not very gotten very many dislikes anyway. Most of my videos only get a, a small percentage. Uh, there's been a few uh, exceptions to that, but I, I don't think it's really changed much at all. I mean, and it's it's not... Well, there is a plugin you can get for Chrome, and I assume for other uh, browsers if you want, that turns it back on. All that data is still there. I've got it turned on. I can see how many thumbs down any show gets. Honestly, I am not quite certain... I didn't really look into it too much. I assumed there are very, very smart people at um, YouTube, Alphabet, Google, whatever, who looked at the situation. As I understand, the choice was made because a lot of content creators were suffering suffering like real mental trauma, um, you know, just getting deluged with um, all kinds of stuff. And YouTube gives the uh, creator a lot of control over how dickwads and I'll just say jerks. I could say a lot worse. How you know how they can be um, left off the channel? How they can just be sidelined and um, and not even know they're being sidelined? It's a very nice system, but there was no way to control that for th- uh, thumbs up and thumbs down. And I mean, I would assume. I mean, it's never happened to me. But of course, bigger channels. Yeah, if you um, you know if 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 you uh, run afoul of 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 some. A cult of personality media type, then their minions will descend on you and blanket every video you've got with billions of thumbs downs. And I guess that's, I mean, I guess that's problematic for some people. I don't think I'd be bothered by it, but I, I would, I totally would not discount or dismiss anybody who does find that to be, um, distressing. And so YouTube says, Hey, why do we have to be there? We would like and this I completely agree with. Board Game Geek did this same thing years ago. Many, many years ago, Board Game Geek had thumbs up and thumbs down. And many, many years ago, Scott Alden, the head of Board Game Geek, said, Yo, we're killing the thumbs down. Because all it does is create a, an atmosphere of negativity. Um, giving people a tool to be negative towards others just incentivized and encouraged more negativity. And Scott said the day they turned off thumb down on board, he said this many, many times uh, to me, and I've seen him talk about it publicly, it 
instantly elevated the discourse of the site because suddenly there wasn't always this thing where, oh, I can say I hate you by pushing a button and that kind of encourages me to, well, maybe I'll say I hate you out loud too. I mean, not that there isn't still lots of terrible stuff going on. It's a public forum. There's no getting around it. And they're always trying to stay one step ahead of it. So it was so successful for Board Game Geek. Not that I'm saying the engineers at YouTube and the designers at YouTube said, oh, we should do what that Board Game Geek did. But I expect they're trying to go for the same thing because, of course... YouTube comment fields are notoriously toxic cesspools of garbage unless you carefully prune and maintain them. That's what I do now. You will never, uh, at least on any video that's gone up for the last year, see anybody being a jerk to anybody. I just don't allow it. And um, I, I totally respect YouTube saying, well, hey, what can we do to signal that's our intention too? We want this to be a place where people come together with positivity in mind and sharing good feelings rather than trying to rip each other down. So to me, more than anything else, it's probably just symbolic. Um, because again, they are still there. You can, you can do the plug-in and uh, still see them if you want. So I, I, I agree and applaud it on a symbolic level, but it hasn't made any difference to me. I don't think I have seen any change in numbers one way or the other as a result. Alrighty, uh, continuing on, Daniel asks a number two. You said that when a publisher offers a game, you tell them to pick which one of the contributors to the channel will do the playthrough. Um, do you sometimes then go, me, 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 instead of offering other contributors? And if yes, how often do you do that? Okay, so uh, what we're talking about here, behind the scenes stuff for the show. Largely speaking, there are two buckets that content on my channel falls into. Um, uh, you know, sponsored content and uh, non-sponsored content like this today. Uh, you know, the, the, the well, no, actually, that's not true. I'm sorry. The, the, the podcast is actually sponsored. I just got a sponsor back. Hooray! Um, which means I can do more run-throughs that are unsponsored because I was having to take one of my uh, monthly unsponsored run-through slots and put the podcast in. But um, Elf Creek is back, baby. And so uh, I've already talked about them at the beginning. You already saw that at the beginning. And um, what were we talking about? Oh, Paradox Initiative, if I recall correctly. So... Um, unsponsored stuff. What were we talking about? Unsponsored stuff. I pick all of those. Actually, that's not true. I generally talk with. I was talking about it earlier. Andrew, my channel manager. Oh, and hello, Raiders. I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of filming a show right now. Welcome to the party. I'm just going to keep on doing the show, though. Say hi to the audience. They'll tell you what's going on. Um, sorry, folks. I'm actually streaming this live to you, podcasters, who are watching this at some point in the future. Um, what was I just saying? Oh, right, right, right. So I work with my channel manager to decide which games are going to be covered that are not sponsored by publishers, i.e., basically Kickstarter previews and game found previews and stuff like that. I generally take two or three of them, and then the other ones get distributed amongst the contributors. And I mean, we're choosing based on well, what do the contributors like to play? I mean, the reason Shay is on the channel is because he loves dungeon crawls and dudes on maps more than I do. And, um, you know, we still need to get Kimberly doing some role play games because she's like a really avid dungeon master role player with her students uh, at the university she teaches at. So, um, you know, and, 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 uh, and Ruel is just the nicest, friendliest guy in the universe. So we're trying to get more party games going with him and, and stuff like that. So, um, we, we pick all those, but the voters who back on Patreon pick what I film, 
And then the other stuff, which is usually about 40% of everything that goes up in a given month, is sponsored Kickstarter previews. And that's what Daniel is talking about. So when a game um, is looking to appear on the channel because they're launching their Kickstarter, their crowdfunding campaign, they contact us. We say, send us the rules. We'll take a look. Uh, those rules then get sent to everybody. All of us independently look at the rules and tell Andrew, the channel manager, if we want to do it or not. Nine times out of ten, all of us say no to everything. Because there's so much stuff out there that none of us want to spend our time on. We just want to play fun games. We want to play good games. We don't want to play games that we then have to turn around and rip apart. It's just none of us are interested in doing that. That's another um, thing. Uh, if you want to come onto my channel and be, hey, I'll be your angry Joe and rip stuff apart, well... We're not looking for that right now, thanks. Uh, but anyway, so everybody um, says whether they want to do it or not. And then, as Daniel says, Andrew... Oop, I just said his name. My channel manager's name is Andrew, folks. Sorry, Andrew. I know you want to stay behind the scenes. They know your first name now. Anyway, Andrew then sends the... Uh, oh, um... The, you know, a list. Hey, well, um, you know, Kimberly wants to do it, and Ruel wants to do it, and Rado wants to do it. And, you know, here's the prices and whatnot, because it is a sponsored preview. They pay more for me, um, because they foolishly think that um, I can, uh, you know, do better for them, when in fact, I mean everybody's doing a fantastic job. But regardless, uh, you know, and they pick. Um, I don't think we've been in a situation where I have called an audible and said, hey, no, 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 nobody else gets to do this. This one's me. We always leave it in the hands of the publisher. And honestly, I am always ecstatic when it's not me. Um, because I have all these other people on the channel because I want to support them because I already love the shows that they were doing and I want them to be more successful. So I want them to do more content. I want them to get paid. I mean, I'm much happier they get paid instead of me. Um, if they end up doing it, I don't see any of the money. It goes to them, although a little bit gets set aside for in a in a, in a in a bucket for show expenses like hosting and 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 stuff like that um so no i have not as yet have to do that the closest has been what has happened a couple times is i have said yes to a game and then it didn't work out either because it turns out oh i don't have time or I freaking hate this game and I made a terrible mistake reading the rules. And then we will go to the others and say, well hey, does anybody else want to give this a try? That that has happened specifically with um a few times. ISS Vanguard. I did not like it at all. Um and but Shay loves it. It's one of his favorite games of all time now. He's done so much content on his own channel for it. So we just packed it back up and sent it to him. And I think uh, maybe uh, Kimberly's picked up a game or two that I have passed on after we actually got it on the table. This is how, folks, when everybody says, hey, why do you only ever do positive stuff? Because if I only have bad things to say... I'm just not going to film it. I'm not going to waste my wife time playing the game. I'm not going to waste my own time filming it when there are so many good things that I could be filming instead. Life is too short to focus on the garbage. Um, although, again, not that they were garbage, just that I hate them. ISS Vanguard is a brilliant adventure game. It just has so much dice rolling, it was too much for me. It became overwhelming. It was numbing. But Shay loves it to pieces, as do other people, as an example. So I think that's the closest it's come to. I've never um, exercised executive privilege, at least not yet. Um, alrighty. Uh, next up, Dieter wonders, One, what is your least favorite board game mechanism and why? Oh, well, um, I've got a few candidates. I, I've got a role to resolve is generally a... Ugh, you got to do something really special. Same for... The, broadly, 
Board Traversal. A game where you have to spend a lot of your time and effort just moving around on a board. Again, as I said, the game has to be really special to overcome that. Because, hey, I get two movement points every turn, and it's going to take me four turns to get from uh, this cave to that city so I can sell my loot. It's just kind of a, ugh, kill me now. Uh, again, I mean, there's lots of cool ways to get around that. You know, shortcut teleporting systems, or neat ways that you can spend resources, or all kinds of fun stuff. But just basic traversal is always kind of dull to me, which is why pick up and deliver is usually a no-no for me. But it's really easy. My least favorite board game mechanism is take that. Because why? I, I just There's something about my brain chemistry. I cannot enjoy the act of sabotaging you. And it's not... A lot of people say, oh, he just doesn't like to, to punch his wife in games. I don't want to punch anybody in real life or in cardboard form. I just don't see how it is fun. Um, I'm, I'm, whenever I'm called upon to do it in a game, I am just racked with, oh, I'm so sorry I have to do this to you. I know you were having fun over there, and I have to come in, and now I have to kick your sandcastle down, and then you got to start rebuilding. But this is the best thing I can do for my game. I hate that. Um... And it's just it's just hardwired into me. I, I don't know if I popularized the term Care Bear in the board game, because I, I've always called myself a Care Bear player, but it seems like that's a term everybody uses now, and I mean, that's me to a T. So, uh, it's a very broad. There are a million ways you can do Take That, but any form of Take That. Dieter continues, Has your board game taste changed over the years? Yes, it has. Yes, it very much has. Uh, and it, it ties into that previous question, Dieter. Because when I first started, uh, what was it now, 12 years ago, I, I got bit by the board game bug when Pandemic brought me in and then Agricola kept me around. Back then, I w had a much higher tolerance for player screwage. And that lasted for years. Uh, you know, there were plenty, I mean, for the longest time, back when I was doing regular every month a new top 10 and my audience got to vote, one of the all the perennial favorites, I'm like, hey, I'm ready to talk about all the games where you can punch each other that Jen and I actually enjoy. I was always ready to do that. I had a solid 10, where in spite of the fact that we don't want to punch each other in these games, we don't mind so much. I think by now, all these years later, I, every single one of those has been removed from my uh, collection. Like, um... Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Uh, oh, I can't think of any of them now. I've, 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 there, there was like one that was um, kind of like uh, James Cameron's Aliens on a space station where the board was a rondelle. It was from Portal Games. Oh, another one from Portal Games, Stronghold, uh, which is a really cool two-player head-to-head. One player is the invading armies. The other player is the castle. And it's like this big, huge, heavy, rich recreation of like epic... Fantasy battles like, you know, the Siege of Khazad-dûm and stuff like that. And at one upon a time, Jen are like, oh yeah, we'll play that. We'll spend a few hours doing that. But over time, as I have been exposed to more and more variety of player interaction that is not destructive, that I have found myself having less and less patience for player interaction that is destructive. Because it just simply does not need to be there. I am I love playing a multiplayer solitaire game where we're all in our own little gardens doing whatever we need to do to win. And every once in a while, oh, that's really interesting what you're doing. That's really cool. I can't wait to see who wins. Um, and oh, you took the thing I wanted. I mean, I love that. But I also love a game like free radicals. Oh, you just said it's off screen. You can't see it. Um, that really works into the gameplay ways that even though you and I are competing, I can give you positive um, incentives that help you move forward, but help me move forward more. That is how I would rather interact with you. And so, like I said, this was a slow um, change that uh, you know that that it took place over years. 
And it's really only like within the last three or four years that I got rid of my last of the, those old holdouts of the games that I always used to say, oh, I keep these around because, yeah, I used to like Hellas, not Lords of Hellas, but the old Hellas, the super little tiny dudes on a map game, which had really cool card play. Um, and Athlas? Athlas was another one. And, oh, that's driving me nuts. I cannot remember the space station one. Oh, and... um. Another one from, oh, from Cool Mini or Not, uh, Tash Kalar was a great little one. Um, but ultimately, I got rid of all of them because I just didn't need them anymore. If I'm going to sit down with you for an hour or 90 minutes or two hours, I'd rather work with you. Even if we have competing um, goals, to me, that is more engaging. So yes, that is the main way my tastes have changed over the years. I used to play a ton of Small World back in the day, and I was pretty good at it. But I, that is unthinkable to me to want to play that game now. Let's see, Dieter continues, are there any games that used to be in your top 100 that you don't like playing anymore? Well, yeah. Well, once upon a time, I had exactly 100 games. And probably of the majority of those are gone. But you know what? Let's test that. Let's test that. Let's go to... So I need to bring the browser up. Let's go to gone.rado.com. Now, of course, the problem is, once I remove a game from my collection, I also remove the ratings for it, and instead, I just note on Board Game Geek, hey, here's all the games I got rid of, and here's why I got rid of them. Here's why I got rid of Dune Imperium. Here's why I got rid of Seven Wonders Duel. Here's why I got rid of Power Grid, or Clans of Caledonia, or Sleeping Gods, or Clank in Space, etc., etc. So, and what is this? This is a list. I think each one of these pages is 100 on it. No, okay, this is 1,055 games. For anybody who says, oh, Rado loves everything he plays, may I suggest you check out gone.rado.com, where I've gotten rid of over 1,000 games that we decided not to keep for various and sundry reasons. Uh, I would like to enter that into evidence, folks. So, but anyway, we need to look at old ones. Um, (sighs) Although, there is a one trick. A lot of, probably, maybe upwards of... 30% of this list is got rid of because of international move or got rid of because um, because, uh, I, I don't have enough shelf space. But even still... You know, when we moved from Malta to the United States and we had to get rid of a third of our of, of our collection, I still had to make choices. And I kind of made it easy on myself and I just posted publicly, I would not have gotten rid of this game if we weren't moving and I had to get rid of something. But there's still reasons. Why did I get rid of Hamburgum over something else when we did the international move? And Hamburgum is a fantastic game from Matt Gertz, the uh, a, a spiritual prequel to Concordia. Why did I get rid of Hamburgum? Because I've got Concordia. And while Concordia is a very different game, it's basically uh, a Matt Gertz Rondell without the Rondell. Um, I ultimately decided, hey, you know what? If I would ever play um, Hamburgum, if I ever had a window to play Hamburgum, I would probably, well, first of all, I would probably play the sailing one that I can't think of the name of now that's even better than Hamburgum, but I'd probably play Concordia over both of them. So, I mean, a lot of these are, you know, one game killed another. Um, let's see, I'm just looking around for ones that... See, oh, you know what I need to do? I need to go to a later page because that's where... Because this is sorted by... Is this sorted by date? No, this is sorted by popularity on BoardGameGeek. Let me sort by last modified. So then we end up looking... The um, oldest game I got rid of, Bergenland, Campaign Manager 2008, El Capitan. Let's see. I'm looking for any of these that might have been in my top 100. 
Musketeers du Roy, Triumvirate, Safrafino, Perry Rodin, Cosmic League. One of the first games that made me realize I don't like pick up and deliver. Um, Scotland Yard. I tried it. It was way too simple. Uh, oh, Walkstar. Walkstar is very good. Um, but you know, at the time, Jen, my wife, could not handle real-time gaming at all. This was still when we were fairly early in board gaming. This was back in 2011 that I wrote that. Uh, I think she could probably handle it more now because since then, uh, you know, she ultimately fell in love with Escape Curse of the Temple. And Escape Curse of the Temple helped her get over her distaste for real-time gaming. And I bet you anything, we would enjoy Walkstar a lot right now. Would it make it into my top 100? Maybe not, but it was an excellent game. But it got rid of for a particular reason. Because at the time, my wife just couldn't handle it. Uh, so that's one. And, you know, uh, I'm looking through these. Boy, I really love the original Reiner Knizia Lord of the Rings cooperative game. But no, no, there's no way it's going to be a top 100 game. Which of these could be top 100 today? I'm, I'm going really, to be willing to bet probably nothing. There's probably nothing that I've gotten rid of at some point. Hey, there's Small World Underground. Remember, I used to... Uh, uh, you know, uh, oh, but this was back when I, I got rid of it because it wasn't very good as two players. I didn't... You'll notice, back in 2014, I didn't say, getting rid of this because what am I doing? I'm a character player. I don't want to attack other people. Back in 2014, I got rid of it because I didn't have anybody besides Jen to play it with, and Small World is not great with two. It's okay, but it's not great. Now, if I, were, if I had it today and I were getting rid of it, I wouldn't even talk about that. I'd say, oh my God, it doesn't fit me anymore. So that's, a, that's like a, a direct example of... Of, of a game that, you know, shows my evolution as a gamer. Um, so, no, but I think, to answer your question, Dieter, it's probably not going to have happened. Uh, um, you know, uh, yes, uh, of course. Once upon a time, I had 100 games. I probably still have 20 of those games. So 80 of those went away, but that's not that doesn't mean they were top 100 of all time material. All right, continuing on, Dieter says, are there games... Or no, Dieter said that. Dieter then says... Oh, oh no, Dieter uh, likes a caveat. I don't mean Marvel Champions because of expansions or Seven Wonders, but purely game based, uh, you know, don't like playing more because you've grown a spike. Yeah, okay, I think I did answer your question, Dieter. Number three, which segment of your show do you like doing the most? The podcast, the run through, the roundups, the final thoughts, the RR show, or something else? Well, of course, the podcast. Because here I am talking to you. And if we were in the RR show, I'd say, of course, the RR show. And if it was in the middle of a run through, I'd say, of course, the run through. But no, no. Um, Honestly, What's well, kind of a mixed sword, uh, a two-edged sword. While I'm filming, probably my favorite thing to do is the R&R show that I do with Ruel. Because I just really love hanging out with Ruel. Ruel is one of the kindest souls, one of the most genuine people you will ever meet. I've hung out with him in real life quite a bit now at, um, oh, at, at Dice Tower West Convention. We played games in person, we played lots of games online, we've had nice chats, and I just think he's one of the best people I've ever known. Um, just so pure and, and honest and wonderful and all the hardship he's going through right now um, because of the plumbing and whatnot. Oh, it breaks my heart. But um, I really enjoy once the show gets going. But man, the lead up to every live uh, R&R is so stressful to me. Live stre- I'm, I'm live streaming this right now, even though I'm recording this for a podcast for later, is so stressful. And I just get so wrapped up. Uh, my wife knows, just stay away from me on Tuesday mornings. Because I'm stomping around the house because inevitably X, Y, or Z has broken with 30 minutes left before we go live. And like, ah, ah, ah. You never hear me curse on the show. I curse all the time like a sailor in real life. And that, the, the being in the video game industry for 20 years will do that to you. And uh, yeah, so I like it once it gets going. Once it gets going. I like the final end result, but I, 
I, I, I wish I was more like Will Wheaton on the old tabletop show. Will Wheaton just had to show up and play the game. And just, hey, tell somebody go do, do everything for me. And in fact, actually, when we started doing the R&R, Ruel was doing everything for me. But then I wanted to do all the fun stuff, like the little stream avatars and the events and all that. And Ruel didn't know how to do that, so I took over and started so I could do all that stuff. And so I think, I'm going to say, but honestly, my number two would be the uh, podcast, actually. One... Because it's kind of the easiest thing to do. It's just, hey, I, I, a bunch of emails came in. I got to sort them by name and copy and paste them in here. And then I just sit down and talk. This is something that I feel is just comes naturally to me. I feel I'm very good at it. People always like doing things that they're good at in life. It just makes them feel good if they're succeeding. And I feel like I am a genuinely engaging um, conversationalist. And so, uh, and plus the second half where I sit down with Jen, sometimes some of those questions can get really interesting. Sometimes... It'll reveal stuff that I don't know about my wife, even though we've been married for, um, since 1991. <laughs> uh, if you ever get married, folks, a uh, life hack tip, put the date, have it inscribed on the inside of your wedding ring. Very, very handy. Um, so I really enjoy doing uh, the podcast too. So I would say number one and number two are the R&R show and the podcast. Honestly, the run-throughs are my least favorite thing. Um... Because it's super stressful. I'm flying without a net, and uh, I'm you know I'm 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 always nervous that I'm going to make mistakes. I'm always nervous I'm going to misrepresent the game, um, and uh, and I'm always there here. This is me being pretty natural, just talking to you. Although honestly, if I'm really being natural, I'm a very quiet, shy, withdrawn person who you really have to pull out, and then I'll start talking. But I can, this is something I can turn on, the Rado persona. But doing a run-through, even though it's all spontaneous, it's all in the moment, it is it is a high-wire tension act. And I mean, you can talk to other people. The first time they ever try to do a run-through like I do, they all say, oh my God, that's really hard. And even though I've been doing this for a decade now, it's still hard for me every time. Um, I, but what I've done is, over the years, I've done everything I can to make it easier for me. Um, most notably, my shift over the last year or so to really kind of focus more on solo play. Because uh, if I do a solo run-through, I'm only having to strategize for half, for one player instead of two. I can't tell you how much easier that is. And I'm less likely to make a lot of mistakes. And it's good for the audience, too. Because, hey, if I don't have to spend a lot of time on the uh, my opponent's turn explaining their thought process, then we get twice as far into the game. So players get to see more of the experience of the game. Although, I should say, for the record, I know some people really hate whenever I do a solo run-through because they feel like they're missing out. I never do a solo run-through if the solo mode does not accurately recreate the experience of the multiplayer game. And you just have to trust me on that. I've played it multiplayer. I've played it solo. I feel like, hey, yeah, they're pretty much the same experience. Okay, I'll film solo. If it's a different experience, I won't film solo. And then I'll be a little bit more stressed while I'm filming. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, hopefully that answers your question, Dieter, with some Ancels. Maybe I've answered your next question already. Number four, who is your favorite board game reviewer? And who? That, that is not a member of the Rotto Runs Through crew. <sighs> See, that's a tough one. Because if I just go off the top of my head, one, I probably won't remember the right person to say. And two, I will insult a lot of people who I really love and I think they're great, but I just didn't think of them in the moment. But the worst would be to say, hey, who's my favorite of the people who are on the channel? I'm certainly not going to do that. I love them all equally. Uh huh. Let's see. All right, so, okay, what I don't want to do is I do not want to list a whole bunch. I just want to pick one. 
Although, man, instantly I'm, I'm thinking of a whole bunch. Thinking of a whole bunch of channels. But you asked for my favorite. <sighs> shelf side. I'm going to say shelf side is my favorite YouTube channel. And in fact, at one point, we were almost going to have the shelf side guys, um, uh, Dan and Ash, be on the channel as well. It didn't work out, but oh man, that would have been amazing. Because I, I, I'm just a huge fan of them. Um, maybe that's why they popped into my head, because I like them so much, I did want them on the channel. And um, but why? I mean, well, first of all, you said review. Now, I, 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 there, there are a lot of channels I love that don't do reviews, right? So I'm just going to skip over all those. That helped me just uh, leave a lot off. So, and if I'm really trying to think about what do I appreciate in a review, well, a few things. One, a reviewer who can really paint a picture as good as my run-through. Because most reviewers cannot do that. Most reviewers, I watch their review and I walk away, well, I guess I know how you feel about the game, but I don't know about how I feel about the game. That is true for probably the vast majority of board game reviewers there are. Because they all follow the same formula that um, was pioneered by Scott Nicholson and then ratified by Tom Vassell of, hey, we're going to do an intro where I'm just going to show you some stuff and basically give you a truncated read of the rules, which I'd have a better understanding if I just read the rules myself, and then I'll tell you what I think. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's useless for me. Um, so I need somebody who digs deeper. Somebody who, um, who can um, you know speak more in depth, articulating the experience of the game rather than the mechanisms of the game, which is what that Scott Nicholson, Tom Vassell approach tends to do. And again, there's nothing wrong with it. It just generally, very rarely gives me a sense of what the game really feels like to play. So um, there are channels that do this, uh, and uh, and 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 um, you know, uh, Shelfside is one of them. That's why I was wearing their shirt for a month last month because I, I think they're so great. But then there's another thing. Because there are several channels who can do this very well, but then there's another thing I really appreciate in a review channel. Don't be mean. Gets back to my Care Bear nature. If I see a review that is just savagely ripping something apart, almost gleefully, that just makes me sick to my stomach. Because as a, vi as a video game developer, I have over 20 years of experience being on the other side, being savagely ripped apart. Because, hey, I've worked on some of the worst video games of all time. Bubsy 3D, anyone? Um, and so I know what that feels like. And I am too weighed down with the shackles of empathy to feel good about somebody else doing that to somebody. I might, you might as well just walk up and start punching them in the face repeatedly, and I'd have kind of the same visceral response. So while there are some channels that do a great job of it, the first thing I just said, they also can just be real mean-spirited. For, and undeservedly so. Hey, you know what? If you didn't like the game, how about you just cover the next game? How about you talk about... If you really want to rip a game apart, go ahead and talk about it in your podcast or a blog or something like that. But to blast it out for thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to see and then to just destroy this little unassuming game that somebody poured their blood, sweat, and tears, their heart and soul into, it just breaks my heart so much. And so here's the thing. Coming back to Shelfside and Daniel and Ash, they are much more critical than me. I mean, and that's not to say I'm not critical. When I'm critical of something, I just don't film it. They will be critical of something, and they'll film it, but they won't do it 
in an aggressive or nasty way, unlike some other channels do. And um, that just seems like, oh, we're just, I just literally want this game to fail. I want to um, ensure that uh, this publisher never publishes another game again, and everybody else, you know, scorched earth policy. So that, I don't know, I, 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 I hey, uh, everybody's got to do what they're going to do. I don't begrudge anybody, you know, uh, whatever path they're on. It's just not for me. And Dan and Ash do a fantastic job of being sometimes very critical, um, but doing it in a positive and constructive way. While at the same time, really capturing the spirit of a game in a way that few channels do. So, um, Dieter, I say shelf side. Okay, let's move on to Gerald. Who wonders, or who states, you prefer shorter games, but you prefer playing Ark Nova over Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. What would Ares have to do to outrank Ark Nova? Use Ark Nova's card action selection system? Gerald is trying to catch me in a trap because Gerald, uh, no doubt, has gone to games.rado.com, which anybody can go to. Uh, Now I'm curious. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's go to games.rado.com. Alrighty, and I gotta bring the browser back up. And right, so um, Arc Nova, I can type Arc Nova is my number 43 highest ranked game of all time. And what was the other one? Oh, Ares, Ares Expedition. Terraform is my number 127, which may sound, oh my god, that's terrible. Again, you saw I've gotten rid of a thousand games. I have four hundred games on me. I've probably played another three or four thousand on top of that that I never actually had. Um, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've played. Well, 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 there's like I've I've done run-throughs for sixteen hundred games. So being number one hundred and twenty-seven out of sixteen hundred ain't bad, but it still sounds bad when it could have been. So why? What's the difference? Why? Because you're uh, Gerald. Gerald is kind of right. No, Gerald is one hundred percent right. Um, I do as a general rule, prefer shorter games. But that's for a very specific reason. Because I have a lot of games to play in film. And um, I just don't have time. And neither does my wife, because she has a lot of orders. You know, even though we are both self-employed, somehow we have created... Uh, things where we are both working well over 40, 50 hours a week, easily. If you count all the time I spend managing my channel in terms of you know responding to comments and dealing with problems that come up and all that. Yeah, I mean, I work way more than 40 hours a week. And Jen probably does too. And um, so it's just easier on my life because I, I, because I'm, I long ago chose for my channel, I looked at Rodney Smith and said, wow, that guy's got quality. Quality in spades. That's way too much freaking work. Um, I'll go the quantity route. I'll have a lot of stuff. And I still do that to this day. And I mean, that's kind of more my reflection anyway. I'm, personally, I am not interested. The more, the more polished you are, almost kind of the less interested I am because it feels less genuine to me. And I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Rodney Smith is not... Gen- Rodney Smith is one of the most genuinely kind people you will ever meet in your life. I have played a game with him. I have had lots of chats with him over the years. He, I mean, you know, he is what it says on the tin. I'm not meaning to imply that. But there's still just something that feels... I feel like when I watch a very tightly scripted, beautifully produced video that I'm kind of being held at arm's length. That I'm, I'm watching a presentation rather than a friend 
Rather than sitting down at a table talking about the game, I'm in the audience as somebody gives a PowerPoint about the game. And there's nothing wrong with that. And obviously people love it, because Rodney is literally number two, king of the hill. Um, or maybe number three. Uh, hardly, hardly matters. Um, so, it's just... What was I saying? Oh, oh, yeah. So, anyway, so I chose, uh, one, because it was too much work to do all that professionalism, and two... I, it's just not the way I tend to roll. I went for quantity, and I'm still there, even though I'm trying to slow down in my old age. Look at this beard. I know you can't hear it, you can't see it if you're listening, but look at how it's look how white this is. I was wearing a red shirt the other day, and Jen said, "Oh my God, you look like Santa Claus." Um, so it's a, it's an act of convenience. Long story short, uh, which is something I have to say a lot because I tend to bat, blather. I don't prefer shorter games. I actually love the feel of a big, epic experience. That's where I got my start. Yes, I started on Pandemic, but the thing that really cemented games for me and Jen was Agricola. And Agricola, I mean, it's not the longest game out there, but it's certainly longer than the average Euro. And my wife and I still love that. It's just so hard to make that a reality in our lives now. Back when, before I, Rotto Runs Through ever existed, and I was still working in the video game industry, and she said, hey, on the weekends, we'll play a game for fun. Um... There was nothing we loved more than sitting down for two hours and playing a game of Agricola and then setting up and doing it again for another two hours. It's just that is not compatible with our life anymore. It is much easier for me to, um, you know, to get a, to get a game of Ares Expedition and something else in in the time it would take me to play a game of Ark Nova. Doesn't mean I don't love Ark Nova. And, um, you know, when I'm rating stuff... You know, and you're looking at games.rado.com, my rankings are a reflection. Well, it's, it's, it kind of varies all over the place. It's a reflection of like a combination of all the expansions. How does my wife feel about it versus how do I feel about it? But more than anything else, more than anything else, I like to think my games is, it's not objective. I, I, it would be foolish for me to claim that. But I like to think that, okay, the better game, the game that has the stronger design, the uh, more well-considered experience goes up higher. And there's nothing against our, 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 our Ares Expedition, but Ark Nova is the better designed game. It also happens to be a longer game. So in a perfect world, if I were retired, I if you asked me, I'd probably rather play Ark Nova than Ares Expedition. But um, there, you know, Ares Expedition is nearly perfect. It's not. And neither is Ark Nova, for that matter. But Ark Nova bumps up because I kind of like big, heavy games more. And I take that into account. If you look at my highest-ranked games, they're all really big, long, heavy games as a general rule. And then these lighter, quicker ones that you can get done in an hour, they start coming in into the... Uh, they, a few of them are in like the top 50. And then they start becoming more common you know, in the uh, bottom 50 and then like the top 200. Because at the end of the day, this is a reflection of how I truly feel. And I think a well-designed, big, epic game is a better game than a well-designed, tight little package of a game. And that's not to... But a tight little package game, like, say, Furnace, really has to work hard to stand toe-to-toe. In in, in my deep-down brain where I'm evaluating things not as a guy who has to play a lot of games every month, but as a guy who just loves games and appreciates games and made games himself for 20 years. That all that said, you asked, what could Air, um, Ares Expedition do? Well, for one thing, if you watch my run through for Ares Expedition, I did point out I was very disappointed by the uh, player scaling. They could have done better for two player, and I think Ark Nova does a better job of that right out of the gate. Uh, what else? Uh, Ark Nova uh, has more variability in it. I mean, it's got that big stack of whatever it is, three hundred cards, each one of them unique. 
Um, so it has a wider variety of experiences that you will get from game to game to game. And now that's not to say the Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition won't have a wide variety as well, but I would argue not as wide as Ark Nova. And that's one of the other things that puts Ark Nova higher on the list for me. That kind of innate variability. And not just variability just to tick a box, but real meaningful stuff that makes you think about the game differently every time you sit down to play. Uh, and I don't think Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition does that as much. Don't get me wrong. Uh, what did I say? It's my number 127 of all time. That is a high praise. I rank it an 8.5. Whereas I only rank Ark Nova. Where is it? Ark. Oops. Oh dear. I'm searching in the wrong place. Uh, Ark Nova. Ark. Why is that so hard for me to type? Is an 8.6. No, an 8.7. We're talking about an 8.5 versus an 8.7. Not that much difference when it boils right down to it. They're both excellent. But that's kind of where my thought process goes, Gerald. Hopefully that answers the question. Continuing on. What would you like to see in a civilization game that is missing from other civilization games? (laughs) I do love a civilization game because I love building. I mean, that's why, Jen, and I love Euros. We like building things instead of fighting things or killing things or stealing things or destroying things. We like to build things. And what better to build than an actual civilization? Uh, but what? All right. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking tapestry. I'm thinking nations. Uh, thinking race for the galaxy. That's a civilization game. What do they not do? I'll tell you what they don't do. Diplomacy. Um. As a general rule, a civilization game has most of its uh, interaction between players be the oh I'm gonna build an army and roll in and steal your your city there. <laughs> or it still exists, but it gets abstracted out. Like the way Nation says, oh, there's this kind of abstract military race where if you don't, if you're not as high on the military track as somebody else when a war starts, you'll lose a few points and they'll gain a few points. You know, that kind of thing. That's fine. That's, a, that's as far as I want conflict to go. But where are the games where, yeah, we're all, where, where, where is the civilization game where altruism is, where, okay, I'll go as so far as say, where's the cooperative civilization game? You know, it's, I mean, there, there have been like, I believe there have been some co-op variants for civilization games and homebrew things, but something that's built from the ground up where, you know, it doesn't even have to be cooperative. It just has to be, the reality is when you're not going to war with your neighbor, real civilizations engage in trade with each other. They exchange ideas. They work towards a common good of the betterment of mankind. And yes, they can turn against each other, but that is so inconsequential to how much human beings, the reason we have been successful as a species is because we work together. And civilization games do not put that front and center. They never do. Um, Seventh Continent does. Seventh Continent has the very simple idea of, oh, I would really like to build this thing. I cannot generate stone. My neighbor can generate stone. I'll give them some stone. And the game implements it in such a way that, oh, I'm not stealing the stone. I'm just giving them some money. It's win-win. Um, you know, it's uh, the real world is not zero-sum. When, when nations, when countries, when individual people work together, it is not always a, oh, well, I will gain something at your expense. That's not the way, the way it really works in the real world. That's Otherwise, we would not have made it this far. And civilization games simplify things down into zero sum. And that kind of bugs me. 
Um, oh, uh, Anno 1800 from uh, Martin Wallace gets this. In the same way, seven, uh, seven Wonders. Unfortunately, not Seven Wonders Duel, which introduces all this really nasty, aggressive, oh, I'm going to burn your crap to the ground, and I'm not even going to steal it. I'm just going to, I'm going to steal it, but then I'm going to set it on fire so nobody gets it. Nasty, why? That's not the reality of nation building. That's petulant. That's childish. So that's what I want to see more of in civilization games. Um, you know, the fact that, hey, even if you're in a different nation than me, that we're all in together. That a rising tide floats all boats. And um, civilization designers, they could try to work a little bit of that into the DNA of their games. That would be nice. Okay. What, uh, continues Gerald, the last day listeners can send in questions uh, to catch the current month's podcast. Yeah, because sometimes the emails come into questions at raw.com and they're too late. And like, ah, did you not get my email? Like, no, 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 it just came in too late. Basically, the morning that I film. Um, because I make this little Word document I'm reading from the morning that I stream. Um, and so if it's a game-related thing, that morning. If it's personal, I'm going to film the other stuff with Jen tomorrow or the day after. And the thing is, what I don't want to do is, if tomorrow Gerald sends a bunch of personal questions in, well, I... I, I don't want to get mixed up and forget things, so I'm inclined to say, oh, you missed this deadline. So I would say, just in general, Gerald, if you go to... What is it? Um, Twitch.tv slash Rotto Runs Through. I keep my schedule up to date of what I'm doing every week on Twitch Tuesdays. And you can see when I'm live streaming the next episode of the podcast. So you have until that morning, basically. Hopefully that answers the question. Okay. Joseph says... Twa is often described as a cutthroat game because of how players can use each other's dice and push each other's meeples out of principal buildings. Uh, based on past discussion of Twa's, you seem to believe it's not that cutthroat. I agree with you, but could you please explain your stance once again? I need to help explaining why uh, to others why this game is not so mean. I've actually talked about this several times. I, on the podcast as well. Just a, a TLDR... I mean, a, 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 if, if you go back... I mean, if you do a search in old episodes for Twa... Uh, you'll find this. Hey, you'll, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I, hold on, right now, I am going to go to my, because um, it's easier for me to search through the descriptions, all my stuff. You can do it too, but it's a little harder to do. Let's see. I need to search in descriptions of every video on my channel, the word TROI, T-R-O-Y-E-S. And then I just want to find the um, podcast episodes where I've talked about it. Okay, episode 73, I talked about TROI. So that's probably the most recent one. Let's just actually look and see if the question was there. Because I feel like this is, you're the third person this year who has asked me. Um, what, why, uh, Twa, why do you like Twa? T-R-O-Y-E-S. Oh, okay. No, this one's something. That, dice values in Twa. All right, so maybe that's not it. Um, right. All righty. Oh, then there's episode 56 where Twa came up. Perhaps this will be the one. Uh, T-R-R-O-Y-E-S. Oh, no, that's talking about Troll the Dice Game. I know I've talked about it. Okay, but okay, I can't find it. Arg. But there are a few ways you can search through my history of, uh, of, of stuff on Rod Orange But the important thing is, when you're trying to play with your friends who thinks that Troll is a mean game, just try to make them understand the dice in front of you don't belong to them. They don't. This is a dice drafting game. It's just a dice drafting game where there's a weird little quirk that some of the dice that everybody can draft from, because it's just one big pool of dice, some of them you can get for free. And other ones you have to pay a coin for. 
And those are the ones that are in front of somebody else. And if I want them, I give you a coin, I take that, I use that one. Uh, because, oh, that's one of the ones you can use free, I have to pay for it. If you were to take all those dice and not put them in front of everybody, but literally just put them in front of a line, um, you know, maybe people would have a better time understanding that you don't own those dice. Those dice are, pe- they represent the people of Troyes who you can have you help, you know, fight disease, build the cathedral, whatever it is you want to do, and you don't own them. Um, you know, So just don't think of it that way. Every time somebody would use a die that you've got, don't think, oh, you stole my die. Think, oh, I got a coin. Now I can use that coin to get that other die over there because I really wanted that red six and I didn't get any red sixes. And you took my red one because you wanted a red one. You know, That's the way I look at it. The, the pushing meeples out, I guess that's a little bit more cutthroat, but even still, not very much, because I still tend to look at it, oh, I've got a free meeple now. What should I do with it? You know, this is a new opportunity that has popped into my lap. Sure, I mean, and, you know, that other, all that's happened when you push my meeple out of, you know, one of the dice-generating silos, all that means is, oh, that red die still exists. It hasn't gone away. It's just, it used to be, I got that die for free. Now I have to pay a coin for it. What's the big deal? It's just a coin. It's just a coin. And people are giving you coins all the time. You're giving coins to other people. To me, this is a positively, this is a literal positive interaction between players. Um, Yeah, so that's the way I look at it. Hopefully that makes sense. All right, uh, then Joe says, which games covered by my many contributors do I wish I had covered instead? Now, that's actually, that's kind of a, a follow-on to the one from earlier. I know the instant answer for that is Carnegie, because Carnegie, I was going to cover. I really wanted to cover it, but um, they said, oh, our Kickstarter launches in November, and I'm like, I am way too busy. I can't possibly do it. And she said, I'll do it. That isn't really my kind of game, but what the heck, I'll give it a try. Interesting uh, side note, folks. The longer Shea appears on the channel, the less of an Ameritrasher he gets and the more of a Eurogamer he becomes, I have noticed, um, uh, from talking to him and seeing his attitudes change about games. Because I know what he says yes and no to. And there have been a lot of times he said no to a game that I think two years ago he would have said yes to because uh, I've corrupted him with my Euro carebearedness. But anyway, I so wanted to play it, I just simply didn't have the time to do it, so it went to Shea. And he did a great job covering it. And here's the problem. They ended up delaying until February or something like that, so I could have done it! And when they did, I thought about playing the executive card and saying, okay, you can send that back to me now. But I didn't, because by then he had already played it and he was really excited about it. So that's one. What else? You know what? Tell you what. Let's go... Let's uh, go back to the browser. Let's go to Kimberly.rado.com. And this is just a list of everything she has covered for the channel. All right. Um, oh, her second one she did, Return to Dark Tower. I have to admit, I had zero interest, almost zero interest in playing that game. I thought, yeah, the gadgets of the live tower is neat. But she really made me engaged in that game. I was That was a great run-through she did. And she really turned me around on that and made me think, I'm an idiot, I should have covered that. Same thing for Final Girl. She did the same thing. What else? Oh, First Empires. Wow, that is a brilliant freaking design. It is at the end of the day. I think it's probably still right that she did instead of me. Because it is still a little bit more cutthroat than I like. Kind of like at the same level of Deus. But, oh my gosh, it's good. Um, Oh, Septima. I think I did say yes, and I think the publisher chose her over me. Eh, Okay, that's fine. Uh, What was that? Mind Clash? Yeah. So... 
I, of the ones she's put up, uh, those would be ones. Let's, let's do the same for um, Amy Maggie. Uh, Thinkerthemer.rado.com. Now, of course, they just started a couple of months ago, so they haven't done as much. I was really impressed by Wonderland's War. I thought for sure, oh, I would hate that game with a passion. And they made me think twice. Probably still, though, probably still not right for me. Probably still right that they did it. Run was so good. Oh, my God. But I'm so glad they did it. I think their run preview they did on my channel is literally the best run-through that has ever existed done by anybody on my channel in over a decade. So I'm glad they did it. Uh, right. And I, honestly, if I had a copy of Twilight Inscription, I would have done it. I just don't have a copy. They did get a copy at Gen Con. It was like pulling teeth trying to get a copy sent to me. And I'm like, okay, well, you've got it. You've got stuff to say. What the heck? Uh, we'll, we'll have you do it. But I would have done Twilight Inscription if I could have. Shay, I'm sure there's going to be quite a few. Um, but we'll, we'll just stick with Carnegie. You know, so there's an example of just a few. So yeah, it totally happens. Make no mistake. Okay. Marlon says, your biggest letdown game of 2022, or, or asks, what was my biggest letdown game where I expected to love it, but just didn't do the trick I thought it would? <laughs> That our, our biggest letdown. Well, see, as I talked about earlier, that's something that very rarely happens. But let me think if it has happened this year. Oops. Um. Oh. Well, no, but it's not a big letdown game. Uh, Diamond Dig. I originally said I read the rules and I thought, yeah, I'll probably enjoy this enough. It looks it looks cute, and I've always wanted to try Ink and Gold and Diamat from designer Alan Moon, and this is him returning to to uh push your luck. And I thought, well, hey, I should give this a try. Uh, because everybody loves Ink and Gold and Diamat. But now, hey, that it's become a two-player compatible game. Let's give it a go. And I probably should have done some more due diligence on it. We got it. We played it. And Boche and I thought, yeah, this is just not our kind of game. Uh, we don't like it at all. And Kim said, oh my god, I so wanted to cover that game. And so we put it in the box and we sent it to her and she loved it. Because uh, uh, because different people like different things, and she really enjoyed the um, the strategic push your luck elements of that game. And we just discovered, boy, we only like push your luck if it's a tiny, tiny cog in a much bigger thing. If it to be all about push your luck, I guess what I've learned pass. So that would be an example. But it's not like it really let me down. I just kind of went in curious. I mean, a thing that I was like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing, and it's just like, oh, it blew up in my face. See, I, I talked about ISS Vanguard. That was actually last year, but pretty close. And uh, I went into that with some trepidation. I knew that was risky because I read the rules. I knew how much dice rolling there was, but I read all this other stuff that I was so in love with. The, you know, the um, the evolving, growing starship crew that you get over multiple adventures and the uh, the narrative and the presentation and the, 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 uh, the design pedigree behind the game. And I thought, well, you know what? I probably won't be crazy about the dice rolling, but I bet you everything else will be so great. And I was really not crazy about the dice rolling. So that's one that, I mean, Shay said, oh my God, yeah, I want to give that a try. I wish they chose me in the first place. And so we sent it to Shay, and it turns out Shay loved it because it's a game that fits his sensibilities better than mine. So, but still, I wasn't let down because I went into that a little trepidatious. I am hard-pressed to think of a game that I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the second coming. And then, oh my God, how could I have gotten this so wrong? This was so absolutely terrible. Has that ever happened? At least I should say, has that ever happened since I started getting really aggressive vetting my games? Um, you know, and being really careful. Tell you what, 
Let's go back to gone.rado.com and let's keep it sorted by date. You want to know about the last year? That's only eight months. Let's look at games. Although, what I'm not, or, or, yeah, games in the last, right, so bring it back over here that I've gotten rid of in the last few months. Uh, i got to come back to the browser. So, um, no, no, mmm, no. Uh, Three Sisters, I think, is fantastic. My wife didn't like it. But, um, right, so, yeah, I thought she would, but it didn't. So, all right, so things I got rid of. I guess wormholes, because I was so in love, and I still am so in love with Tiny Towns, and this is basically the unofficial sequel, although it has nothing to do with it. It's just the same designer, same publisher. I guess that was kind of a disappointment. But again, I knew it was a pick-up-and-deliver game. So I went in, hedging my bets, assuming that, you know what, this just might not work out for me in gen. And it turns out it didn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I wasn't let down. Uh, right, so I'm going back. We're back in May now. I'm not seeing anything that was a huge letdown. <sighs> you know what? You know what? You know what? Winter Kingdom. Winter Kingdom. I'll give it that. I'll say I had no reason but to expect Winter Kingdom was going to be even better than Kingdom Builder. Because I love Kingdom Builder. I think Kingdom Builder is amazing. And here's the sequel. It adds just all this extra stuff. And um, when I got it, I was like, oh, Wow. I think I'll just go back to King. That was a bit of disappointment. And again, I don't get me wrong. I can see why many people, especially people more aligned towards my predilections towards heavy-duty, hardcore Euros, like uh, Winter Kingdom more, because it just gives you lots more toys to play with. But I think it just makes the game so laid-back and easy. Um, and then also, it just has terrible two-player scaling. The world is so big and huge, you never, ever run into any problems at all. It's just too easy. So that was a bit of a disappointment, that I did go in expecting great things. Or at least I had no expect. I had no reason not to expect that I was going to love it. And um, looking through, I think that's it. Yep, that's it. Or oh, we're in January now. Let me just do a quick look. Nope, nope, nope. All right, so there you go. I found one. I didn't expect I would, but uh, you were right to ask. Winter Kingdom. Uh, and again, I'm not saying the game is bad. It's just so threw away what made Kingdom Builder so great. And it turned into something else because it was placating. So many people have complained about Winter or, or Kingdom Builder for so long, how it was just too luck-based and people were unhappy with it. So, okay, well, let's just take all the... It wasn't, but they said, let's, resol let's resolve those problems that don't really exist and make a different game for these people, and those people love it, and I'm just hugely disappointed because it got rid of everything that made Kingdom Builder so so wonderful. Okay. Um, ba -ba -ba. Big, all right. Current top 10 Marvel Champions hero... Or three villains. Uh, it's always going to be the same. Whichever heroes do the most for the uh, alter egos. So like She-Hulk, Miss Marvel. And, um, oh, you know what? Both of the, do the um, Miles Morales and uh, Ghost Spider or Spider-Gwen, pick one. Or pick any three of those four. Those three characters probably do more to focus on the personal life, the real day-to-day -day life of those characters. And that's what I love about Marvel Champions. Uh, my least favorite is probably Hawkeye because they completely ignore his personal life. And, and Quicksilver, too. So, and villains? Uh, I really love Hela. Probably Hela is my number one because it totally flips the script and turns Marvel Champions into basically Lord of the Rings, the card game, and that's an amazing design feat, and I love it. And, uh... Oh, oh! Uh, the, not Green Go uh, the, the Green Goblin, where Green Goblin becomes Norman Osborn. I know, apparently, some people say it's broken. There's some way that you can kind of 
exploit some weakness and just instant win. I don't care. I just think it's actually really, it tells really cool stories that um, our villain has to go into hiding every once in a while and become Norman Osborn. We have to deal with him. I think that's brilliant. And then... Whoo, doggy. Uh, what else? What else? What? Oh, 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 uh, Taskmaster. Taskmaster is another one that really flips, that does a great job. All three of these villains do a great job of taking place over a, sp a spate of time that it makes sense that, hey, every once in a while, our heroes take off their costumes and deal with their day-to-day -day personal lives. And you know, and so it, it like tells these bigger, broad stories. So Taskmaster, um, Hela, and whatever the other one was I just said. Oh, uh, Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. But not the... Uh, Green Goblin just going crazy berserk, turning the city into goblins. But the other, the business one. Risky business, I think it's called. Um, right, so there we go. Marlin then asks, if I was asked to design a new Marvel Champions hero, where which hero would I pick? <laughs> and what would make successful? Marlin, I don't design games anymore. I stopped doing that a long time ago. But, okay. Mm, what would I want to do? Okay. The thing I like least, other than the stuff I always complain about with Marvel Champions, they're throwing away what makes it special. Just in terms of the raw turn-to-turn -turn mechanisms, I wish that they didn't have the, oh, hey, make all your choices and then draw some cards, which is the equivalent of rolling dice and see if it works or not. You know, the um, not the encounters, that's fine, but the boosts, the boost cards. So I would like a hero that just basically throws that away. That lets you say, hey, anytime you're going to boost, draw three and pick the one you want. I would want to do that. So who would that go on? That would go on a hero that can see the future. Is there somebody who does that? I'm sure there must be. Or luck-based heroes, right? Um, like a long shot. Or Domino. Or that's X-Men. Uh, uh, or uh, Black Cat. Black Cat. I want Black Cat. And I want Black Cat to use her good luck powers to be able to over to basically say, Oh, I never get a bad boost. The boosts, the boosts that, that always come my way always work out. Because I'm just inherently lucky. And then she has some kind of weakness to make up for that. You know, she's... I mean, hey, she's just a human. Um, so she's going to have a hard time any other way, but the fact that things just always kind of go her way and the boosts just always go her way, that's what I want. I think that would be fantastic. And if you focused on, you know, the Felicia Hardy side as well and her relationship, romantic relationship, entanglements with Peter Parker and stuff like that, or the fact that for a while she was a, a, a kingpin when Kingpin sat down, wow. Yeah, Felicia Hardy, black cat. Although you know who else? I say this because once upon a time, I was working on Marvel Secret Wars 3, uh, um, written by Greg Pak, and it was awesome. And one of the heroes I was most excited about, it was, we put him in because we were working with Greg Pak, you know, who's the writer of World War, World War Hulk and a bunch of other stuff. At that point, Greg Pak was writing the Hercules book, and he had depowered Hercules. So Hercules was basically a regular mortal, and he had a whole bunch of really cool mythological toys to play with, uh, like you know the shield of Medusa and some sword of something or other. And, they, and those gave him his superpowers. He had a bow. And I thought, oh my god, this is so awesome. I love this Hercules. I would love that Hercules, but I'm sure, I mean, that was... That was must have been a decade ago, right? I'm sure that is long gone. But if that Hercules were possible, I'd want to do that Hercules because I mean he would just he would put Hawkeye and all these other gadget-based characters to shame. Um, that would be awesome too. Okay. Olivier says, I've never played the loop. It looks like a fun co-op, but a bit heavier than Forbidden Desert and lighter than Spirit Island, which is what I'm looking for at the moment. Uh, and uh, Olivier knows I rate it highly. 
Key takeaway that most reviews has that there's a really neat game that's a high amount of luck that's killed the game for a lot of people. I have seen that, and I disagree with that completely. The game gives you all the tools you need to be able to anticipate what Foo's Tower is going to do and make informed decisions. But if you ignore it, if you don't... I mean, there's only seven Foo cards. Uh, okay, granted, the first couple that come up are going to hit anywhere. But after the first couple, you need to start paying attention to where is Foo going to hit? What is the biggest likelihood? And keep those carriers safe, and you'll be fine, and you won't say, oh, this game keeps screwing me. The game keeps screwing you because you keep ignoring the game. Anybody who says that. But regardless, anyway. Um, right. You can get destroyed by clones and rift cubes drop where they shouldn't without anything you can do. What you can do is anticipate where they're going to drop. But let's say you just choose not to do that. Um, so anyway, uh, Olivier continues, I didn't talk too much about the, about luck in the final thoughts because it never occurred to me that that was really a problem. Um, oh my gosh, those were the dubbed ones where there was no sound and I literally dubbed over my entire final thoughts. That was hilarious. Anyway, though, in my run through... I played with Ultra Machina mode, which is the only way you can advance where, the, where you get to choose where the cube tower is going to go, where you have control over it. How do I like it compared to other modes? It's less... I guess it is, but I played it in all the modes with the base game and the expansion. Luck is not an issue if you are paying attention. It's like playing Pandemic and completely ignoring what cards have been drawn when you shuffle them up and put them back on top of the Pandemic deck. You're like, oh my god, I had no idea Chicago was going to get hit again. What are the chances? Pay attention! And you'll prepare for that, and you'll know Chicago is a hotspot. But anyway, uh, Olivia continues saying, A BGG user's proposed variant where you play is normal, uh, except that the Rift Cubes go into the tower after player actions instead of before. And so, oh, okay. Which leaves the player time to prepare, uh, a bit like you explore, build, ravage phase of Spirit Island. You'd probably have to play at a higher difficulty level to compensate, but it'd make a lot of sense. I like that. I like planning. Forbidden Desert, knowing the storm's starting position and pandemic, putting the infection back on drop pile. Do it better than, say, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, where you're completely at the mercy of two dice. Yes, yeah, that's a big problem I have with Flashpoint Fire Rescue. There's no way you can anticipate. You just roll dice, and it's just whatever happens, happens. That's not what happens in the loop. The loop gives you those tools. But anyway, it seems like the loop's uh, official rules, except... uh, Sorry. Loop is not as predictable, but it is predictable enough. And that's one of the things I enjoy about the loop, that it's a roller coaster. That sometimes you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen. And that's like the first three or four turns after uh, Dr. Foe gets his deck back. And he could strike anywhere. But after those are done, and those are like the panic modes. Oh, anything could happen. Then, then he's only got three or four cards left. And you can make very informed decisions about, well, okay, if he lands there, we've got that problem. If he lands there, if he lands over there, we're fine. Okay, then. If he's going to land in one of those, that's the one we need to focus on. Go. Then draw the card and see what he does. If you play that way, I guarantee you, you won't have this problem, Olivier. And I suspect whoever you've been reading or watching did not play that way. But all of that said, I gotta say, that's a really good idea. I really like that variant a lot. For folks who don't know, the turn order is, at the beginning of a player's turn, um, a card gets drawn that tells Dr. Fu to point his bazooka of death at a certain section of the table of the board, and then you drop cubes into his bazooka, and they get randomized into one, into the place he's pointing to or the two spaces next to it. So you have imperfect information about where he's going to strike. And then after he does all that, then you get to go. What this is suggesting is brilliant. Hey, he turns to face the thing, but then you get to go, and only after you've done everything, then he drops the cubes. 
that's pretty cool. I actually like that quite a bit. I think the core game could have been that. But you're right, it would make this core game so insanely easy. Because the game is not that hard as it is, if you are paying attention. So I think this would be a great way, a great, like, easy mode. I think it's a cool idea. I think that is, a, uh, is an equally valid alternative way to design the game. Uh, if, you, if you feel you need it. So give it a go. It's cool. It's a very smart, whoever came up with that. And oh my gosh, folks, we're done. Oh my goodness. Um, that was a lot of questions. Or no, it wasn't very many questions, but that was a whole lot of answer for me. So, um, phew. I am pretty happy with that. But hold on a second, folks. Like I said, I am streaming this live. So I'm just going to check in with the live crew. And I'll be right back. Oh, folks, they had some very good questions, but um, I am running out of time for live streaming today. So we are going to call it quits right here. But if you hang on, we'll be right back. And I've got a few more game questions for Jen. So, uh, and if you want to hear the rest of the questions they did, you can find this on your podcast stream. Remember, there is the bonus content that I always put out. And so you'll be able to have a few more questions in there uh, if you want to listen to that in addition to the podcast. But anyway, folks, hang on. We'll be right back. All right, folks, we are back. And Jen is here, as evidenced by the little picture of Jen. Um, <laughs> and the giggle. And the uh, the giggle. All righty. So i uh, got a few more game questions that Jen may or may not be able to weigh in on. We will see. Oops, may or nay. Got, may or nay. I like and, it. But i got to scroll down to where those are because I messed up. <clears throat> That's okay. Here's gaming questions with Jen. And then after the games are done, we'll get to the personal stuff. So Honey Pie, Gerald wants to know... What, in particular, do you not like about cooperative games? Because I have mentioned several times on the past how frustrating it is for me that you don't love co-op games as much as me. But I don't think I've ever gone into detail about that. Well, I think it's usually because co-op games hit you so hard. There's just such opposition that they feel hopeless. Hopeless! Yes. That's why. Yes. And the fact that I point out to you, honey, it's just designed to start out this way because you're supposed to be under the eight ball to create more drama. But over the course of the game, we will get stronger and stronger and our um, tempo, our rhythm, our, our acceleration will outpace what the bad guy can do to us. And she said, I don't care. I'm not having fun right now. Yes. Well, I'll have to remind you of that when you're griping about me winning and you totally losing and... Um Competitive, competitive games. Except, as already previously I'll established, say, by the stats. Honey, wait a minute, you're going to reach your tempo and... The stats say I lose 37% of the, or win 37% of the time, so that well, doesn't add up. It's, it's interesting, though, because um, yes. you, you have told me this in the past. I mean, really, you like cooperation. Mm-hmm. You like it, mm-hmm. but there are two broad, there are three broad ways, or three ways you could classify a cooperative game. Um, the... Uh, the ghost stories approach, where it, like Jen says, it just beats you down. It just, you know, throws you into a dark, deep hole and expects you, with just a couple of sticks and a broken match, to be able to climb your way out. Good luck. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and you hate that. You. Oh yeah. Uh, and then there's the other kind where, 
oh, this is just a cakewalk. I mean, you know, and that's mm. not really a design, but I mean, we have played plenty of cooperative games where, oh yeah, this is nice, but geez, we were literally on cruise control the whole time. Yeah, and I think that's generally because they sort of throw in the co-op at the last minute uh, that, and don't bother to test it. That can sometimes be the case, yes, when it's a co-op where it's just like, oh, really, this is a competitive game, and they put a co-op mode in. But then there is the just right, which is Pandemic. It's lucky that we stumbled oh, across Pandemic yeah. because it goes through, I like to call it the roller coaster, of, oh my god, we're all going to die. Jeez, this one card will kill us. Or... Phew, we are under control, we can rebuild, we can recover from that really terrible panic we had a second ago. And so it just kind of, you know, goes on these highs and lows. Um, and, uh, yeah, and so Jen's really big problem is the ones that... Again, I mean, you know, some, I mean, Ghost Stories never lets up. Ghost Stories, it's like Die Hard where you barely crawl across the finish line. But most of them start out with, oh wow, we're just going to beat you down hard. But then as you accelerate, things get better and better. And Jen just has no desire to uh, to wait around for that acceleration. Many is the time we have started a cooperative game. Jen <laughs> says, this is literally impossible. And she gets up and leaves. And she asks an hour later, so did you win or lose? Of course I won. Uh, because yep. I told you this is what was going to happen. And it's what happened. Yeah. And she says, there's no way it could possibly happen. Yep. Or maybe you're just better cooperative. No, 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 no. I do much me. better with you than without you. Aww. Oh, easily, easily. You're a better player than me. Um, so, is there anything else so you don't like in a cooperative game? You're going to keep me around for a while? Another uh, 30, 40, 70, 100 years? It's, uh, it's been working so far. <laughs> okay. So, is there anything else that you dislike about cooperative games? Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I would say that sometimes... They can be a little bit drivery, meaning somebody is driving all of the action. And I know you tend to try and hold back and let me drive the action and make a lot of the decisions. You have, um, you, can you think of an example of this? Nope. Because you're right. That is a very common complaint. Uh, it's uh, called quarterbacking or alpha player syndrome. <clears throat> There's several different titles for it. Uh, backseat driving, I suppose, would be a way to look at too. Although it's front seat. It's everybody. I've got the only seat. Um, but I don't, I've never, I mean, I guess anybody who has ever does that is always the person to say, what, that doesn't happen. Okay. And if you don't think that happens, that means you're the one doing it. <laughs> but are you suggesting? Cause I, I tend to think in every cooperative game, we are equally involved that yeah. we are both alpha players. And then that's why we work so well together because you never sit on the sideline and just let me make the decisions. No, but I think sometimes you probably hold <clears throat> yourself back to let me have that space. And, I feel and like, so, and you're saying you feel that underlying tension? <clears throat> no, I don't think it's tension. I just think maybe sometimes it's not as fun for you because you're deliberately not alpha gaming me. I, I that might be a perception you have, but I don't think that's actually the case. I mean, maybe it's happened once or twice. Hmm. I mean, the big thing is, of course, uh, I, I think maybe are you conflating that with you know, occasionally we'll play a game like Gloomhaven. Yeah. And from your perspective, Gloomhaven is, hey, I uh, every round I make a decision and I do what I'm going to do. <laughs> And then 50 billion other things happen, and I don't know what any of it was, and I'll wait until it's all done, because you just don't bother. I mean, and it's always something I try to involve her in, you know, with, oh, well, you know, okay, what's the likelihood of this card coming out of this deck, and, you know, and, okay, we, oh, we have to draw from this other thing now, and you're like, it's too much, I just gotta focus on my cards. Well, that's because my cards are complicated. Yeah, I mean, Gloomhaven is certainly a, an extreme example, obviously. Yeah. And I think part of it, too, is that we don't tend to get really enmeshed in a particular game so we don't 
I don't get that feeling of expertise where I can divert all my attention and try to help with the maintenance of you the see, game. And that's fine. I don't expect you to. But I think you shortchange your experience somewhat. By not being more directly involved in the nuts and bolts, you are, you are literally disconnected from the game. Uh, to a certain extent, yeah. because I'm effectively a computer just doing it all. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that hurts the experience. I have now played Gloomhaven as a digital app, and mm-hmm. I played it, of course, many many hours, and I felt it less engaging when the AI was just okay. Well, I guess I'll do this, and then oh. I don't have to think about which way the monsters are going to go. Well, okay, they're going to go this way or that way. Mm-hmm. What is the rule for this or that? They just go and do whatever they want. And I just <laughs> felt, I mean, it was nice to not have to do all that extra overhead. But at the same time, I just, I was removed from the game. I yeah. felt suddenly, I mean, I was playing a video game, but I felt like I was playing a video game instead of a board game in video form, mm. you know? Um, and, and that's the way you've always played them. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, we played pandemic enough that you could probably run the game yeah but it's pretty straightforward but there are many (laughs) times a co-op game say oh well like i said it's let's just turn this competitive game into a co-op game by adding this really complex thing that's off on the side Mm -hmm. that needs maintenance every turn yeah and that just means you're removed so you have no interest in the maintenance i think the experience maybe suffers for you a little bit um but when we were playing a lot of gloomhaven i was definitely more involved with how things were going to uh, happen. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's just a matter of having time to get that yes. involved. Yes. Th- and that was the Gloomhaven thing that yeah. for easily half a year, yeah. maybe longer, we played every week like clockwork, and we and that's something we just generally don't do. Um, anything else, or are you ready to move on to the next question? No, I think those are the two things that I wanted to. Yeah. The interesting thing I always take away, because this is not the first time Jen has made this observation, is, oh, I don't like cooperative games because they, uh, I feel too much like I'm going to lose. That's why she likes playing with me, <laughs> because I never make her feel that way. <laughs> she never sits down and says, oh my God, Duck is going to destroy me here. These first three rounds have gone so bad, I have no chance. I might as well quit. I never engender that feeling <laughs> because I know threat. All right, uh, moving on. Joseph wonders, honey, would you rather have one game with 10 expansions or 10 games with no expansions? I think in our current lifestyle, I'd rather have 10 games with no expansions because then we can tick them off and move forward. Yes. And yeah, I mean, that's why I, 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 I didn't get a chance to caveat if we were normal people. Oh, if we were normal if, people. I mean, if Rado runs through, if I retire tomorrow and handed the keys over to Shane, Kimberly, and everybody else, um, and we could just we could go back to playing. A, we could have every Sunday we play the latest Uwe Rosenberg game for three months, like we used to do with Agricola. Remember, we used to play Agricola every weekend. Yep. Remember that. Yep. So going back into that mindset, if there is a game that you really liked, would you rather? Oh, look, more iterations, more permutations as we dive deeper into it or no 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 okay i've done that a bit now let's go do something completely different well i know what my answer would have used to been what would that be um it would have been that i would prefer to go deep okay um but i'm not sure that all of these years of playing lots and lots and lots and lots of games has not changed my <laughs> really that is interesting <clears throat> so i'm afraid i cannot fully answer that question until you quit and we go back take your best guess i mean oh. you see you're thinking that you have been programmed into a cult of the new um it's almost laziness, to be honest, because there isn't that having to um, remember what my character was doing and what weapons I had accrued and, you know, the whole storyline as it moves forward. Oh, you mean in a campaign game? 
Yeah, I guess in a campaign game. Right. But yeah. no, I'm, I'm not talking about that. Like, um, let's see. What is the most recent game that we played? So it'll be relatively fresh in your mind. I wasn't planning on this, but let me go on ahead and just bring up our gameplay calendar. We play so many games, folks, that they just all blur. And I could roughly say what we played, but not in any uh. idea of what order we played them in. But I do track it all because we play a lot of games. And it's the only way to make it work. All righty. So, wait, wait, what is the day today? Today is the 21st. And, yes, Honey Pie, you were about to say something? Oh, I think we're at the Equinox. September 21st, right? September 21st. Yeah. Happy Equinox Day, everybody. Happy Equinox. Yay. Okay. So the most recent big game we played was yeah. Sabika. And uh, that was the game, how to describe it to you. It had three rondelles, the inner rondelle, the middle rondelle, oh, yeah. and the outer rondelle. Yeah, you the, your, your, your construction poet. guys went on the outside. The poet went on the yeah. inside. Yeah. It was really smart about how, hey, we know what the event is now. We know what the next event is. Yeah. And it was, you know, moving your uh, three rondelles yeah. and, uh, you know, and, and carving all the poetry and all that stuff. <clears throat> that was really a good game. Right. I liked so, it a lot. Right. Okay. I know you liked it a I lot. I mean, shh, don't tell anyone. I know. I, I know you were very keen on that game. <laughs> but if people want to know how keen... They'll have to uh, catch the next gen jogs. Yeah, which um, is next week. Which is next week, yes. So, but you really liked it a lot. Now, thinking about that game, if I said, if you, if I retired now and you were going to spend a fair bit of time with that, would you want to, uh, you know, over the course of three months, would you want to visit Sabika every Sunday? Um, and, uh, you know, and, um, and then, hey, there's a new expansion, you know, and then, okay, we got it, we got it. Would you rather have, hey, an expansion for Sabika or a new game of comparable quality? Wow. You know, actually, I think I'd rather have a, a comparable quality new game. Really? Okay, so that, that's really the crux of this question. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, that is not what you would have said yeah. years ago. Yeah. Any thoughts as to why? You've just gotten addicted to new experiences as opposed to... I mean, it's it's a question of novelty versus mastery. Yes. Right. And I would have used to say I want to do to do the mastery that I really enjoyed that. Right. Um. But now I think, I think that I enjoy what I enjoy, and if there's something else that's equally good but different, I would take the equally good but different. All right, there you go. Well, then she's come over to the dark side, folks. Jen is a cult of newer now. I've, I've corrupted her to my ways. Um, but also that means I can never quit the show because she needs to keep getting fed new new experiences. Yeah. I mean, and of course, it's not black or white. Obviously, you want both. You want to revisit your favorites over and over again, but you also want new things. But yeah, if mean, you had to choose one at this point, you'd go for new rather than... Yeah. yeah novelty. I mean, we have been hauling games around this the earth... <laughs> we're surrounded Thinking by them. Yes. that we were going to eventually get a chance to play all our old favorites. Yep, and making heart-wrenching I mean, decisions of yeah. like, oh, okay, I, man, I, this, I would not be getting rid of this if just we're out of space, kind of a thing. Well, and I mean, how many boxes of games did we ship from Malta? It wasn't many. like 15 or more boxes just full of games. Yeah. And that was after we got rid of 30% of our collection yeah. to try to cut it back somewhat. And I don't know if you continued to call oh, yeah, since been, here. Yes. So, I mean, it's just like, we may not, we may have, um, oh, what's the Rome? Glory to Rome. That we may have the glory to Rome, and that's it. By the end of Rotter runs through, and everything else is new. <laughs> oh, wow, that really sticks out in your mind as uh, one to keep. Well, it was just—it's a nice travel size. Uh, that is true. It's very nice travel size. Although it's so old now, I 
opened into it not too long ago, and it's starting to get mold in the box. <gasps> no! I put I put a couple of those little silicone packets, so oh. it won't get any worse. And it's not the cards are fine. The cards are coated. Oh, it's, it's just, just like the you know, box. The, you know, the uncoated inside of the box kind of thing, and the and the the little uh, cardboard insert. Anyway, though, so that was a good question. Thank you, Joseph. I did, I I thought I knew what she was going to say, and she surprised me. Uh, next up, what, honey, is your favorite memory from a board game convention? Oh, wow. Oh, there's so many. Um, I think I'm going to have to go back with that early one. Maybe I've got dementia, and I can only remember the early things now. Yeah. Um, but I can <laughs> remember, I think it was the first time that I was at Essen after I'd started making glass player markers yes and i was carrying around a couple of those little tackle boxes full of you know with and in a backpack and somebody stopped me and asked me if i had any pieces and so i you know set my backpack down and i think i sort of made a little makeshift plinth out of some cardboard boxes that were being thrown away or whatever and just sort of got them out and it was so much fun to just see them go through them and pick some out and and i think that was something that kind of set me on my current path that this was to, to lean more into the gamer glass stuff. Yeah, and just that this was something that was going to bring greater enjoyment to something that was already pretty dang, fa- you know, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something I really remember uh, happening. Um, that's not my favorite thing, but it's certainly something that, that stands out as a, a real positive. Um, one of those pathless taken choices, mm-hmm. and I, I went down the path of uh, gamer glass because of that. I forget, were you there? The year, the Essen, where you had started to do it, and I mean, you remember the uh, the math trades? Did you ever go to a math trade? Yeah, that, well, that, I that mean, gigantic was... scrum of yeah. hundreds of people all crammed into a tiny space, all shouting out "Where?" and holding your signs up and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, and one of them, again, it was early in your gamer glass career. I had set up my cardboard box on a dolly, and it was all stacked up. And I was just over on the side because not only was I trying to do all my math trades, but there were a lot of people who were showing up there to get glass they had bought from you. Oh. I think maybe you weren't there. I think uh, there was one that you went to without me, and I think I, I sent think that you with. The, that must be the one, yes. Yeah. Yep, yeah. That was uh, a. That, so that was, was a, not my memory, but it's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most of your memories, really. But I mean, you play very few games at conventions. You yeah. are that you are there to work. You are there to sell. So all your well, experiences that you really cherish are going to be about making connections with your customers and stuff like that. That's true. And yeah. I don't have mental capacity to to play games at conventions anyway. All my mental is eaten up by the logistics of getting stuff where it needs to go. Hmm. Um. I will uh, take a very bad memory and uh, and look back on it with fondness. Our last convention, Dice Tower West, when our plane got canceled and we had to rush to the airport, and ultimately we didn't, but um, I had been playing a game with Amy and Maggie mm. of Thinker Themer. Yep. And, uh, and uh, somebody else. And... The game wasn't going my way, but I have to admit, I was so distracted. First of all, Amy and Maggie, I don't know if I've ever apologized. I know I was a bit brusque and a bit distracted in that game that we played um, on the last day of Dice Tower West, but it was mostly because I was worried about ah, this crap with our flights and what should we do? And um, it was so incredibly touching that when the decision was made, okay, we need to get to the airport now. The second you can start tearing down, because you're generally not allowed to tear down until the end of the show, right? Um... 
the, the second we could, we started tearing down while I was still playing the game and helping you pack up, but the game kind of morphed into everybody helping you get all packed up yeah. and loaded and sprinting from one side of this mega Vegas <laughs> complex to the other and trying to find where the uh, Uber would pick us up or whatever it was. And, um, you know, the esprit de corps. The, you know, uh, that was, uh, I mean, obviously it was a terrible moment, but I was so appreciative of, of, the uh, of the help. So that, that is, that's fairly fresh in my mind, but that certainly pops into my mind. That was awesome. And actually, may I also say that my neighbor, um, my neighbor vendor person who was At selling that, next to me, uh, yeah, yeah, we left a few things behind. Oh, I didn't know In that. the Mad Scrum, and he got in touch with me afterwards. And oh my gosh. Fortunately, he's a Pacific Northwester. And oh, so wow. I was able to stop by his next show in Portland and pick up my stuff. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So he, he knew me and just held on to my stuff and brought it home for me. Awesome. So, I mean, all, all in all, it was... Uh, yeah, very. Uh, yeah, the so kindness think, of people is. I think for both of us, the uh, favorite memories are about the people, not the games. Basically. Yeah. Yep. Okie doke, which is as it should be. I mean, the games are a conduit to the people, after all. Last game question, Honey Pie. Okay. Um, and this is going to be tough for you. Your current top three 2022 games that you've played so far. Now, of course, you can't do that. Why well, can't? <laughs> I can't of, course do you, that. of course, you can't do that. <laughs> but um, I actually went through all the Gen Jog episodes so far, Ooh. and I made note of every five-star you've given in the year 2022 so far. But we just played one that we thought was... Okay, spoiler alert, folks. Jen gives Sabika five stars. <laughs> so I will put that on the list. So um, of the what? I mean, it's on average 15. So 15 times 8, give or take, right? Yeah, that's be 30 times 4 is 120. Let's say of the 100 or so games you have played this year, give or take, probably a few more than that, you have given seven five stars. Wow. Uh, okay. Sabika, Woodcraft, that was a game we played last month where you're forest uh, crafting wood. There was like the big buzzsaw where you'd pick up a tile off the buzzsaw and move it into the next quadrant. And when it moved far enough, it would make the entire buzzsaw oh, move. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. then, like, little peekaboo, little uh, bonuses would show up on the yeah, later stuff. Yeah, that was great. And you were hiring the people, putting them into your workshop. And it was all because, hey, I've got these recipes. I need to make mm-hmm. I need to make this chess set or whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah. Um, yes. I'll, I'll turn on the fan. Jan is getting hot. <laughs> so... It might be the flush of, oh my god, I've got to try to remember seven games right this second. Yes, I, I, I did a little... Normally I try not to do advanced prep for this, but I knew Jen wouldn't be able to answer that question. So, Sabika, Woodcraft, do you remember it now? Yep. You got it in your brain? Totally. Um, now, here's the deal. Those are the only two games that are 2022 games. Oh. Uh, you also gave um, five stars to some 2021 games. Arc Nova, which was the big zoo conservancy game where you have five cards in front of you that are your different actions you take one like i'm gonna build or i'm going to do conservancy you do the action then it slides all the way down to the bottom the other ones slide up mm-hmm. and you have a big hex map as you're you know developing the uh, enclosures for the animals but then you're bringing the enclosures the game comes with a stack a million miles high of all the cards you can play Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm remembering a lot of zoo games as you're talking. I think maybe that might throw me off. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But anyway, you gave that one five stars. You gave Stella Dixit five stars. Remember, we played it with Ruel. It was Dixit, but um, you know you still had the you know abstract cards that um, you know. You're, but um, it wasn't a hey, one person picks one picks a word. Instead, it was 
hey, um, there's a deck of cards that picks a word for everybody. Everybody tries to put their own card down that they think fits the word. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe we put in several. I don't remember exactly the particulars now. But And you want to be in a situation... It's kind of like Dixit where, okay, I don't want everybody to uh, pick it, but I don't want nobody to pick it either. So you have to kind of straddle that line. Yeah. Um, and it was more gamey. There's actually points. And if you push your luck... Oh, because, yeah, there, there's like a big... Oh, that's what it was. There's a big grid. You don't pick anything. There's there's a big grid, a th- four by five grid. There's one word, and everybody makes secret note of. Oh well, that card, that card, that card, and that card. Those are perfect for rainy, for or, or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. And you're hoping you pick some that are unique, some that are common. Um, okay, and yeah, yeah. if nobody, you know, and and, and it, it, you can bust if um you if you went too far. You gave that five stars, and um, and then you gave globe trotting five stars. That was the game, the roll and write, where we were drawing on a globe. Oh, yeah, I did like that a Jen's lot. Jen's smiling big, remember yeah. that one. Um, when we played the Fozilla expansion for The Loop, the cooperative game where in the center of the board that we're moving around <laughs> through all the different time zones, Dr. Foo or Dr. Foe, oh, yep, uh, you drop the little cubes in, yeah. and you know where he's going to hit, and we've got all kinds of special powers, and we're trying to stay ahead, pandemic style. And then um, we played the deluxe version of Lagranha, which um, is a big, epic farming simulation. I, that was back in January. You're not going to remember the pictures of that. So anyway, those are seven games that you gave five stars to. Only two of them are 2022 games, which was J- uh, Joseph's questions. All the other ones are in the future, because they were prototypes, or they were 2021. So, of the 2022 games that you've given five stars to, what do you rate more, Woodcraft or Sabika? You, you can, you he can. wants the turn top three 2020 games. I found the top three. Those are that. Gosh, she read the small print. Damn I was it. hoping to make her. That, folks, is a little sneak peek into what the Gen Jog show is about. Gen just rates a bunch of games uh, anywhere from one to five stars. And then at the end, I say, okay, well, all these four and five stars, now you got to rank them. It's like, ah, every month you trick me, and I forget that I have to do this part. I have to rank yeah. them relative to okay, each other. Okay, I'm going to go with Woodcraft. Woodcraft over Sabika, really? Yes. Is that because of the subject matter? I could of the partially cra- be, but uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But no, I think uh, I just really enjoyed all of the options that Woodcraft okay. gave. So currently, number one game of the year for Jen, Woodcraft, number two, Sabika. Alrighty. And um, let's see here. Uh, on which, and I, you know, it occurred to me, I should be answering all these too. <laughs> but um, people hear my opinions about everything all the time. I think it's more interesting to get your opinion. So last one. Can you think of any games that you and I disagree on? Meaning I like it and you don't? Or or you hated it and I liked it. You would be better to answer that question because yeah. um, I know there's some that I really enjoy and that you just hate, so we get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I honestly, I... Uh, but we haven't had one of those for a, a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, because I'm much more careful these days than I used to be. I mean, as a general rule, this was kind of broached earlier because I have much more tolerance for co-op play mm-hmm. than you do. Mm-hmm. So there's probably... Oh, I know. Oh, you have one, okay. Marvel. Marvel Champions. Now, here's the deal. The first time we played Marvel Champions, and the second time we played Marvel, the first time we played it, you came away saying, wow, that was really good. I could imagine you know, going down the rabbit hole on this. And the second time we played it, which is on film, <laughs> the first one was not filmed, but the second one was filmed as a, uh, 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 an exclusive backer thing for Patreon backers, uh, you said, no, this is still really good. But then we played two or three times since then, and she's hated it. Hated it. Well, I don't know that I hate it. It's just... 
There well, it's is a, so much minutiae. It's a perfect example of what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. That that is a game that has a lot of upkeep. Yeah. That has a lot of maintenance. Yeah. And I try to engage Jen by saying, oh, don't, don't worry. I mean, you just, blah, 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 and, and, but somehow it just makes you tune out and it makes you hate the game more. Because, you know, the core game is really good. I've got these five cards in my hand or four cards or six cards, depending on the situation. And I know I've got to play them as smartly as I can, try to get all of them played. What is the best? I mean, every turn is a really interesting puzzle. Um, so you should love it. And the first few times you did, but every time since then you have you've been you've walked away saying, uh, "Do we have to do that again?" Um, and you, she'll begrudgingly do it. And I hate that because I know you love it so it's, much. It's it's yeah, I love it to pieces. Do you have any thoughts as to why? All I can think of is I just don't like all of the minutia of it. Right. So and 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 I get, I think that gets back to that co-op question. Yeah. Um, because I mean that minutia is a big part of it, and if you would. You know, in, in the same way that you played enough Gloomhaven to where, yeah, okay, I'll, oh, I'll draw these cards and you can do that. Yeah. And, and, oh, no, actually, I think the monster's supposed to go through this door. Isn't that the way it works and yeah. all that? Yeah, so that actually goes back to my answer about the co-op question about being lazy. Yeah. I mean, you, you for whatever reason, and I'm going to assume it's more of a where we were um, in our lives at the time. Could be. You were able to invest yourself more in the intricacies <laughs> and the minutia is your favorite word for it of Gloomhaven. And see, the thing about Marvel Champions is with every subsequent release after the original box, it has just gotten more and more complex. Yeah. More keywords. And I, I t when I first covered it originally, I said, oh my God, this is such a breath of fresh air. You know, a really heavy cooperative card game that you aren't drowning in keywords, that you're constantly having to look up all these little things. It's fairly smooth and streamlined. But as it's gone on, it's just gotten more and more which top is, heavy. Which is great for people that are enmeshed in it. Well, of course, yes. But I mean, that's, yeah, that's how you keep them that. happy. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, and so, and in Malta, I mean, one of the reasons we moved to Malta was because Jen was driving herself to distraction, working um, you know crazy hours, and you know just working herself to the bone in England with her glass business. And she thought, oh, you know what, living in the uh, in the Mediterranean, that's gonna force me to chillax <laughs> and just not sweat all the little stuff. And I don't know, maybe because the, during our time, and maybe it worked yeah. because you, I think, had more patience. For longer games yeah. and for more intricate games, and since moving back here, I think maybe you've lost that chillax, laid back, and you're constantly stressed about your glass business again. And you're, I mean, Aww. the number of times, and, and, and not just that, but all, I mean, our lives have gotten infinitely more complex yes. with investments and and family and all kinds of stuff since we've come back to the states yeah. um and i mean it, it's tougher and tougher i mean i know now sitting down oh okay i've got to find jen in just the right state of mind for this game <laughs> and i wouldn't i didn't have that kind of consideration five yeah. years ago when we were still in malta mm -hmm. and so i think maybe malta did have the intended effect on you i, I remember talking about this at one point and you think well oh it didn't work I still, I'm still stressed in Malta too, but maybe you weren't as much. I think, I think there was just much less going on in Malta, mm -hmm. and so that removes a whole layer of everything. Right, which means you could then give yourself more over to, you yep. know, really investing in the game experience. Yep, I think you're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's why I'm a hereby announcing the end of Rotto <laughs> Runs Through today, so I can play more heavy games with Jen. Um, no, not today. Not today. Not tomorrow, but someday. <laughs> uh, but anyway, though. Um, actually, no. The intent is never. Um, you know, eventually, I just, 
Uh, what it, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Yeah. Uh, and I really liked it. I was, you know, well, you know, I'm bringing on more people. We're about to do a new experiment with uh, a Final Thoughts video this week, where I basically make a guest appearance, even though I haven't played the game. I just show up in the Final Thoughts <laughs> and say, "Hey, hey, Shay, I watched your video. Here's." Here's my questions, you know, oh. kind of a thing, and um, you know, and, and if if that is well received, you know, doing more and more of that, um, and maybe me doing less and less runthroughs, but still having a presence. And um, John of John Gets Games, I was talking to him about, it, and he said, "Oh, you're trying to become the dentist." And I, I was like, "What do You'll you mean?" You'll be a dentist. That was my first thought. I immediately um, started uh, singing uh, Steve Martin in my head. But no, he said, "No, you know, when you go to the dentist." 90% of the time there, you're dealing with the assistants, the hygienist, and then right at the very end, the dentist shows up and hangs out for five minutes, <laughs> and uh, and then you leave. Oh, I thought there was going to be something about, you know, how you couldn't really speak because the dentist oh. was in your mouth. <laughs> there's there's a lot of options for that, yeah. Okay. Oh. But I thought that was a very interesting observation. And yeah, I think for my own sanity, because uh, I don't want the show to go away. I don't want to pull a Jeremy Salinas when, you know, he got sick and tired of Drakenstrike and just quit. And then he tried to come back a few years later. I would like Rado to carry on without me, which is why I'm trying to get people used to somebody other than me filming in my style. And uh, because, hey, we just talked about a bunch of reasons why. And, of course, that's just game focus, but there's lots of reasons. Mm. So, anyway, um, I think, then, that is it for the game stuff. And then we move on to the personal. So, folks, if you only were here for games and show talk... We are done. Hope you enjoyed it. Please send more questions to questions at rotto.com. And uh, we'll be back next month. But if you would now like to stick around for uh, the other side of life, the non-game side of life, where most of life gets lived, in fact, uh, then hang on, and we'll be right back. Okay, folks, Jen has refilled her comically oversized <laughs> chocolate cup. Look at this thing. Sorry if you can't listen. What would you say the uh, diameter of this cup is, honey? Would you say it's at least six inches? Six inches is what I was going to say. Yep. Um, it doesn't look as big in your hands. Look at, look oh. at it in my hand. <laughs> there you go. Go this way. Oh. There you go. <laughs> it's, I can't even get my hands all the way around it. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a very large cup that has now been refilled with some tea or other. What tea are you drinking, honey pie? What are you rocking? Cranberry autumn. Randberry? Grand? Cran. Cranberry autumn. All right. I'm drinking water. <laughs> all right, okay. So, uh, let's start with the personal stuff. Stir, first of all, Daniel. First of all, this is not a question, but I thought it was worth keeping in. Praise for Jen. No. When Jen answered why she doesn't like modern guns, she expertly, better than I'd be able to, explained why I personally, uh, says Daniel, don't like themes that are World War I uh, uh, up to modern times where any battles occur. So Daniel has the same response. Mm. And it's interesting, I thought, that Daniel did draw that line, World War I, thereby implying that he's fine with firearms prior to World War I, which, of course, immediately calls to mind two things. Civil the War? Uh, well, I was just going to say the American West. Uh. Um, you know, which, you know, Civil War is part of the American West timeline, too. Yeah. And then also, like, you know, the Three Musketeers. Stuff like that. Although, mm. I mean, really. So I'm curious. Are Would you be... Is me asking you a question. More comfortable with a game where you are gunslinging um, in the old American West? No. Nope. Even still. 
No, I mean because it's so romanticized, it's you know mythologized. It's it doesn't have that. I mean, it's much more. Oh, uh, you know, people don't die quite so quick. You get winged a lot. Um, but even still, the uh, you know you can only shoot six bullets. There are six shooters. I know they're not you know fully automatic. Th- you know, blah blah blah. No, still the same. No, I was thinking though about like muskets that you had to load. One, okay, then let's one, go. Let's go further back. Something um, at a time. Yeah, let's go further back. Let's go way on bay back when to uh, to the American Revolution times, where yes, you had to, uh, you know, every shot you had to tamp and you had to pour and you had to spit and you had to <laughs> look cross-eyed. I don't know what all you had to do, but um, yeah. so that's better. I think. I think part of what I don't Oregon, like... Oregon, Three Musketeers era stuff. You know, I mean, they are yeah. literally the Musketeers. You think of them mostly as swashbuckling sword fights because they could only fire once every three minutes, although they were officially Musketeers. Yeah, I don't know. Did those have two barrels? Was it a two-barrel? No. It was always just yeah, a one. Those were always just one barrel. I mean, uh, I, I'm okay. sure there must be things that are multi-barrels, but I think that's mostly like uh, science fiction or, you know, um, or what do you call oh, it? Steampunky type things. Steampunk stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think... So I think what makes that slightly more acceptable to me is... Uh, the reduced th- lethality? That, and the fact that you had to really want to shoot somebody. <laughs> and it wasn't like... I oh, mean, it wasn't so casually easy. Exactly, yes. Mm. There was a process that you had to go through. And so it's, you, you know, you're feeling that this is an absolute necessity if you're going to do all that three-minute packing and crapping, you know, pack stuff in there. Uh, so, I don't know. I guess that makes it slightly more acceptable to me. Still not crazy about it. No. But... But you find it less of. I mean, you played all the way through Fable Two, um, you know, which I was the designer mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and uh, Fable Two was, you know, set whatever it was, five hundred years after Fable One, and suddenly you didn't have a bow and arrow anymore. You had yeah. rifles and such. Sometimes you have to deal with what you're given. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, anyway, to Daniel's actual questions. First of all, Honey Pie, what are your top three fictional movie villains, and why? Well, I mean, just what comes to mind? Mm, villains just villain. jump into your mind. I mean, it doesn't have to be written in stone. I mean, yeah. you, if uh, you think Hannibal of something Lecter. later today, it's it's going to be fine if you... Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter? Yeah. Really? Okay, that's Silence interesting. Silence of the Lambs. All right, okay. I mean, you couldn't... I mean, this is something we've talked about in the past. In your younger life, you had a much broader range of tastes. We actually saw Silence of the Lambs in the theater. Yeah. You would turn off Silence of the Lambs 10 minutes in if we were to watch it now. True. I but think. that is because I saw Silence of the Lambs and made a decision at that point that I didn't need that in my head anymore. <laughs> okay. But even still, I mean, so you're you're putting uh, Hannibal Lecter on the list because of the quality of just how... How creepy he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that, that, I mean, I, I'm sure that makes a lot of people's top three. That's yeah. a good one. And actually, I didn't watch a lot of horror kind of things. I've never seen a Freddy Krueger movie. I've mm-hmm. never, I just, I, I just, I have a fertile imagination and I don't need that stuff in there. <laughs> so, um, okay. So other villains, villains, villains. Well, I love Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Ooh, that's a good one. Sure. She's great. She's my favorite. Probably Can't wait to see the live, uh, live action one. That'll be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, All right. That's, those are two great ones. Let's see. Another villain. I'm I'm shocked. My, I I assumed her immediate thought would go to a female villain. Initials D U. Not helpful. Oh, Dolores Umbridge. 
<laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. She is a horrible, horrible mm-hmm. villain. Yeah. I mean, she was a good villain, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, she's kind incredible. You love to hate so much. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, I kind of figured that would be your go-to. Oh yeah. Um, so Dolores Umbridge, Ursula the Sea Witch, and Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> That's a, that's a great collection. I like it. I like it a lot. That's a really solid list. Yes, and what are yours? Um, my first immediate go-to has to be Hans Gruber. Mm, has to be. Of course. Greatest villain of all Shoot time. Shoot the glass. She's an infenster. Yep. Ah. Uh, um, yippee-ki- No, I can't. Gotta keep the show clean. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So Hans Gruber, definitely. Mm. Um, ba ba and uh, I'll say Thanos, you know, from the uh, Marvel Fair films. enough. Yeah, he's really a good villain. Yeah. I mean, he's literally the uh, hero in his own movie, um, effectively. And uh, let's see. Who else? We never be shouting, Darth Vader, Darth Vader. Like, no, not really. Um, I mean, Darth Vader didn't really get to me that much as a kid. I... I mean, he was really kind of a non-entity. I, I like probably many kids in the 70s, thought he was a robot. Didn't even understand he was a person. Um, and was totally surprised in Empire Strikes Back when, oh, is he still here? I thought he blew up in the first movie. I barely remember. Oh! And then you finally see it on CBS in the 80s when it's on reruns. Oh, no, no, he flew away at the end. I totally forgot about that. Um, I like him more as a hero than a villain, when it boils right down to it. I found Anakin a more interesting character than Vader. Uh see... Wow, you had really good ones. I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to top those. It's so silly, but again, it's just part of a big part of my childhood. I really liked Max von Sydow as Ming the Merciless in Flash Gordon. Uh. <laughs> um, because Flash Gordon was came out, and I believe, I'd have to look up the years, but I think it, it was in theaters on my 11th birthday, uh, which well, I was born in 69, so that would be 80 or 81, so it was some around in there, um, and my parents let me and my brother go see it by ourselves, under no supervision, and that was the first time that ever happened. And so that left a really strong and indel everything about that movie left an incredibly strong and indelible impression on me. All I remember is me. Flash, go, Flash, go, go, Flash, go, go. Yep, uh, not Dale's finest moment. Um, uh, so it's kind of a cheesy, but I mean, yeah, again, I mean, you could could think about this forever. Um, but I, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with those. All right, so there you go. You got six movie villains. Um, oh, but he also wanted to know why. You did talk about why with Hannibal Lecter, just because mm. fundamentally changed your view of cinema. It was so impactful on you. Yeah. But Ursula the Sea Witch. I just love her. She's just so delicious. Yeah. Yep. Love her songs. Love her. Love her whole body acceptance thing. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, just yeah. I love and that she's. She's helping, or is she, you know, not? Is she a villain? I don't know. She gave people what they wanted. <laughs> um, uh, life's full of tough choices, isn't, isn't it? it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see. And Dolores Umbridge, of course. The, the the creeping down the path to pure evil that she right. was so beautifully illustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at first she seems, oh, well, she's just a well, she's, mid-level bureaucrat. Yes, yeah, and yeah. pink fuzzy sweaters and kittens. Yep, yep, yep. And yet... And Hans Gruber is definitely the best villain of all time because he's just, he's so brilliant. He's so smart. Mm-hmm. And Thanos, because you can make the argument Thanos was right. 
Um, and but he's also really uh, deep and rich, and they really spent a lot of time with him. He got a lot more screen time to really delve into his motivations than most villains ever do. Um, you know, since he was largely the centerpiece of one three-hour movie, and then a pretty significant part of another three-hour-long movie, and uh, and then a whole bunch of other movies prior to that too, where he was hinted at. And what was the third one? I said, oh yeah, I mean the merciless, just because I I just have such a childhood glee. I mean, and, and obviously Max von Sydow was loving every second of it. Uh, I would assume, I would hope. All right. Uh, next up, Daniel asks, "What are your thoughts on Sam Harris?" Jen has no idea who Sam Harris is. I am sure. Uh, I've got a picture in my mind of a guy with kind of blonde hair and. Uh yeah. That's probably Sam Harris, isn't it? Uh, kind of a cowboyish, you know, drawly kind of guy. Who am I, I thinking of? I Something Harris. I will show you a picture of Sam Harris. Okay. Uh, no, okay, I know who you're thinking of, and it's not Sam Harris. No. Sam, um, you're thinking of. Like Sam Worthington, or you're, you're you're thinking of like uh oh shoot, all right uh he shows up briefly in the Big Lebowski IMDb Big Lebowski I know who you're I'm sure who you're thinking of I'm just can't think of his name and that's gonna drive me nuts all right Big Lebowski and all right he only I assume he'll be in the list I'm on uh, IMDb now folks well it doesn't matter oh that's gonna drive me nuts I'm sure people are shouting at their at their smart devices. Actor who's yeah plays laconic, uh, you know, iconic cowboy type characters. Uh, no, Sam Harris is a uh, a very popular. Oh, what do you call? It? He's a member of the uh, intellectual dark web. In that, oh, I'm definitely. I have to admit, I don't. Uh, to answer your question, Daniel, I'm I'm aware of him. I know very little about him. I've not really paid much attention. I definitely sided with um, Ben Affleck. Uh, that's probably the main thing I know about him from. I, he got into an argument with Ben Affleck on some show, and I sided with Ben Affleck. And so I didn't remember what they were arguing about, but I thought, oh my God, it's so obvious that Ben is right and Sam Harris is wrong. I can't believe Sam Harris is arguing that fact. So I've really never paid much attention to him afterwards. So I can't really say much, and Jen thinks he is a cowboy. Uh, um, <laughs> all right, so we don't know. Uh, but anyway, moving right along. Then, this is the big one. Uh, Daniel asks, have we done the political compass test? I had never done it, Daniel. And how far, or where do we end up on it? And so Daniel wants to know, hey, do you do the political compass? Now, there's, I, a, there's an assumptive statement, and how far left how do you How far left do you do? Well, it's a, fair, it's a fair assumption. It's a fair assumption. It was really interesting, though, because it has two axes. There's a left and a right, but there's also an up and a down. Uh, for authoritarian versus uh, mm. uh, libertarianism. Oh. Uh, and so I thought that was interesting. And uh, I did do it, Daniel. Uh, it took about five minutes. And I figured, for fun, we'll have Jen do it live during the podcast. But we'll save it till the end. Because I asked Jen, hey, are you fine with that? And I showed her just the first page. She said, yeah, I'm probably fine answering these questions. I said, it's just like five pages of this. It's no big deal. And Jen said, well... I reserve the right to have it stricken from the record if I'm not happy with how it looks. So no, what you not might, how it looks. It's just I'm a very private person. Or that I, if you have to, might be. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you have to give up to information, if you don't want to talk openly about some of the questions, so we're going to do it at the end of the podcast, folks. Maybe you will get to hear it, uh, but if not, it, the, the actual test will go away. But you'll hear Jen's and my results. But wait, Jen is trying to do something. What are you trying to do? Sam Harris is an astronaut. Sam Harris is an astronaut. Uh, the guy I'm thinking of, he was also an astronaut in a movie. Oh my gosh, now... Alright, uh, astronaut in a movie. Yeah. The movie The Right Stuff? Oh, I don't remember, I'm sorry. Oh, this is... Not that this has anything to do with Daniel's question, but... Um, 
All right. I mean, Sam Harris was not an astronaut. Maybe it's Ed Harris that I'm thinking. Ed Harris. That's what I'm thinking. I cannot, you're, you must be. You are definitely thinking of Ed Harris. Ed Harris is, you know, plays lots of cowboys in westerns. Yeah, crinkly eyes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. He's got a face that's chiseled for yeah, a yeah. western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry. That's who I'm thinking. Okay, you're thinking of Ed Harris. Well, then uh, to follow up, what are your thoughts on Ed Harris, honey? Oh, I like his crinkly eyes. Okay, there you go. Okay. Uh, and sorry, Sam. Uh, Jen saw a picture. Eyes weren't crinkly enough. But anyway, so at the end, we'll do this political <laughs> compass test, but I might edit it out, but you will get the end results. I'm not going to do it now, though, because it is going to take like 10 minutes or something like that. So we'll save it till the end. All right. So we'll come back to the political compass. But um, question number two, out of curiosity, knowing all that I know about you, Daniel, what do I, where do I think you land on the compass? Top left, bottom right. I'm going to assume, Daniel, kind of in the middle. I'm going to assume bottom left, close to the middle, but maybe ever so lightly left, but probably very comfortably in the bottom. And uh, you'll let me know. But anyway, then we'll move on to Gerald, who is back saying, What did you think about Spider-Man No Way Home? And did you cry more watching it than Endgame? I thought there were some strong yet subtle moments. Now, here's the deal. I was originally, Daryl, going to put this in the spoiler section. But now I've pushed this whole other thing into the spoiler section. Or the, I, mean, I don't, I, if people want to hear the test, I don't think they'll want to sit through the spoilers. Uh, people who want to hear the spoilers wouldn't want to sit through the test. So I'm going to be non-spoilery and say, um, yes, I cried a fair bit. Um, at the obvious places and at some of the subtle places too. And I'm not, you're not going to make me talk about them right now. Another reason not to go into spoilers so I can actually <laughs> keep a dry eye in the house. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, obviously the big moment, the big moment when, let's just say, Green Goblin makes his move. Uh, uh, is, I even remember that. Even Jen remembers that. And I'm not going to think about it, goddammit. Um, but... Equally, almost equally powerful was uh, Andrew Garfield's big moment, which was very powerful too. Durr, I'm thinking about it too much. We're just moving on. I thought it was great. Not my favorite though. I have to still say I, I like the middle one of the trilogy, the uh, No Way Home, the European Vacation, Spider-Man <laughs> European Vacation. I I like that one best. I was recently up in the Tower of London. Tower Bridge, I mean. You were, oh yeah. Yep. Uh huh. Did you think of Spider Man? I did. Around? I did, and I thought actually that the whole floor of the um, top observatory thing was glass. Oh, you were up there in that glass. Yeah. The, where, where the big wow? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've never been there. Yeah. Well, I, they. I think they've done it since we lived there. But oh, anyway, really? Okay. But I thought the whole the whole expanse of the bridge had that glass looking down. So I, I was going to ask you. Or about was that. it? Was it only just a portion? It was just a section. Yeah. I, it was. A, it was a, a. That was. As I recall from that scene, they were in a fairly short corridor. A corridor that was maybe 50 or 70 feet long. Something like that. Okay. So, was it accurate then, you're saying? Because you've now been up there? No, it was like, a, there's probably a 12-foot glass floor. Oh, so, okay. So, they probably artificially extended it yes. a bit so they could have more drama. Yeah, so I was up there going, that this whole wow, thing? Wow, this was like a whole big place before. Yeah. Where Spider-Man finally you know, came into his own. Um, you know, and, and truly learned to trust his spider sense and all that. And there was like a lot of stuff. But, okay, well... Um, I think what I like most about Spider-Man No Way Home is, that really surprised me, is that it's the origin story that they've been building up to the whole time. But I'm just going to move on, because I'm already getting emotional about it. <laughs> and I know you come here to watch me cry. I know you do. But I'm not going to give it to you this month, folks. Sorry. Um, I'm not going to cry over superheroes for once. Okay. Marlon uh, says, Tell us more about your upcoming wood endeavors. Are they board game related? And if so, can we get a sneak peek? Ooh. You had said 
yeah. that you have some upcoming wood endeavors or words to that effect. I'm, I, I assume he's probably direct quoting you. No, but. I think um, it was that we were getting my dad's work bench. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so which we've got it now. We've got it now. Yes, and I it's in a very crowded garage. So my first <laughs> wood endeavor is going to be to continue clearing out the garage. Exactly. There'll be no other endeavors until such. Oh time. yeah. Unfortunately, we still got a bunch of Bobby stuff in there too that we need to go through. But yeah, yeah. Um, um, no, I I don't have anything particular at this moment mm-hmm. that I'm. So you're not dying to make it another butcher, butcher block, block table, table or a, a toolbox or. A, no, no. Or whatever. No, I, my my scopes are much smaller, so probably some jewelry or something like that, or so maybe you, do you, a fusion between glass and wood really? or something like that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you did. You uh, you uh, collaborated when we still lived in England. Yeah. With that one person who did those stands for your big pieces. Yeah. Are you saying something like that for your small pieces, or? Um, I I just don't know. I don't have any room in my brain right now, so I'm sorry. I you don't. get nothing, Marlon. I'm sorry. I tried. Okay. I, I would just like a tidy garage at this point. Yeah, that's a that's a good first step, yes. That would be the uh, ambition currently. Alrighty, Marla, but I'm really happy to have my dad's workbench. Yeah, it, it, I, it was very nice. Uh, is the, the computer-generated imagery in She-Hulk really that bad, continues Marlin, or is there something else wrong? Uh, why do you think it gets so much flack? For some reason, I uh, get the feeling that it's because of the fact that we have another female hero in the spotlight, and some part of the community um, is rubbed the wrong way and looks for some excuse to burn it. The CGI isn't fantastic, but it's not that bad. I agree. It's Obviously, it could be better, but here's the deal. I'm of a certain age. I grew up on, I mean, I was an adult when Lawnmower Man came out, um, and everybody thought that was amazing. I know what bad CGI looks like, and She-Hulk, at all times, even at the absolute worst, looks fine. Yes, it is true, she does not hold the same fidelity because they don't literally have $30 million per episode that they can put into her. But often, she looks near fo- per- uh, perfect, photorealistic. Uh, pretty much every time you pause, just sometimes the motion isn't been on. I actually saw a really good video, Marlon, about it from a channel I really like called Corridor Crew, which is a bunch of special effects artists that do all kinds of wacky special effects stuff. And they did a, an evaluation uh, when the first trailers came out. And one of the things they pointed out is, why is Hulk so much better than She-Hulk? And in large part, it's, you know, they pointed out things like, well, Hulk has stubble. Hulk has um, more, you know, detail in his face. Whereas um, Jennifer Walters, She-Hulk, just has a more, that is a harder nut to crack because there aren't extra little bits of detail uh, for your mind to focus on. So we're just looking at her face, just pure and um, naked, effectively, uh, with, with nothing in between you and her. And so it's, it's harder to get that right. But I would also agree that there is certainly more than enough people looking for any reason to bag on the show without, um, you know, opening up the fact that they're blatantly misogynist. Because, of course, there's so much blowback. How dare this woman um, compare her trauma to Bruce Banner's? Uh, I've, I've seen interviews where just very silly, misled young men by the Jordan Petersons of the world think that they are being... Um, uh, they are having their privilege taken away by the existence of a, a strong woman who will verbalize that, hey, you know what? Sometimes dudes have it easier than ladies. And that's like, how dare you? We must be perfect and equal in all ways, and this is sexist against men. And But they can't. They know they can't come around and say that, so they'll complain about the CGI instead and say, oh, look how garbage this is. And, I, I, I'm, of course, 
there are a million reasons to not like a show, and hey, it's all personal preference. You do you, uh, angry internet. But I think, yeah, there is a certain undercurrent of that. I do, and I do think it's a shame. Well, uh, but there's no denying it could be better if they were to throw an extra twenty million into every episode that they're simply not going to do for a half hour sitcom. Right, and also Hulk has had a lot of. Uh, oh sure. He's not the result of just one TV show. Yeah, he is the result of a decade's worth of iteration and improvement. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you look at the timeline of, of Hulk's look. Um, I mean, does She-Hulk look better than Hulk in the original uh, The Incredible Hulk starring um, Ed Norton? I would say yes, she does. That she holds up better than that. Um, so, but no, I, I think she looks. I think she looks good enough uh, to where it's fine. Actually, it's interesting. To me, the moments where it's most jarring is when she's walking around in the office, uh, and it just looks a little off. But I realized it's not the CGI; it's the fact that she's wearing a suit that's two sizes too small for her, and it's making her literally walk in an uncomfortable and artificial way. And I think people are saying, "Oh my God!" Every time she walks around, she looks so artificial. That's because she's literally acting that way because she doesn't fit in her clothes. Um, but people are very, very quick to ascribe other things. So it is too bad. I've enjoyed the show. And I can't go on because Jen has left now. Uh, Jen just can't stop. Did you want me to bring up a picture of Ed Harris? No, I know who Ed Harris is. It's not the same. I've still got the cowboy guy. So it's not Ed Harris, the cowboy guy. No. So what? You got your phone. Who are you gonna look up? I don't know. Sam. Lots of Sams. All right. It's got to be a Sam guy. Sam, cowboy, actor, famous Sam. Let's see what Google gives us. There we go. Sam Elliott. That's no. who I was thinking of. No, not him. Oh, but come on. I mean that. But that's grizzled cowboy guy. Yeah. Okay, but not the guy I'm thinking. And of. I was thinking of Sam Elliott earlier, folks. And his name is Sam. And see, look, there he is in a cowboy hat. Can you scroll, please? All right. Well, we'll go back. Um, again, Sam Elliott. No. Ten things you didn't know about Sam Elliott. I don't care about Sam Elliott. Favorite Western actor, no. Sam Elliott. No. I don't know, Honey Pie. I don't know who else could be. <laughs> but uh, now that you're back, we can continue. Oh, what are your thoughts on the show itself? I think it's great. Um, I'm very much enjoying it. Uh, it's exactly what I hoped for. I am perfectly fine with the fact that there's pretty much no superheroics in it whatsoever. It's just her dealing with her life as a... Uh, as a female lawyer who has this really extraordinary thing that she has to deal with as well, but going on dates, you know, trying to come to terms with, um, you know, you know, liking herself. I mean, all that kind of stuff I think is fantastic. Uh, the humor doesn't always land, but I very rarely laugh out loud at anything. Um, and I appreciate the humor is probably a aimed at a younger audience than me, like the uh, last episode. And of course, I haven't seen this week's yet because it hasn't. I mean, you, the new episode has come out by now, but uh, last week's episode where there was a lot of stuff about modern fashion is like. Okay, I'm sure if you're a fashionista, I'm sure if I was really into Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, I might appreciate some of this a little bit more, but I don't. And Jen, I can see her just scrolling through pictures of Sam Elliott on her phone now, because she refuses to admit that you were thinking of Sam Elliott. <laughs> um, anyway, though. Uh, and I, 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 as for what Jen thinks, I have no idea, because I can't get Jen to watch the show at all. So I assume she doesn't like it, but I couldn't say why. Uh, I'm storing it up. That's watch. what she says. But there have been plenty of other shows. She's oh, well, we'll just watch a couple of those. And she just keeps not coming back. So I think she doesn't like She-Hulk. And she probably just has not come up with, or, you know, you know, come to terms with why. So ask again. Maybe in a month she will have be able to articulate why she doesn't like the show. Because you clearly don't like the show, Honey Pie. And you're just like, mm, I'm just kind of waiting. <laughs> you're like, no, you don't like the show. 
was we've got like three episodes you could watch, and you just refused to watch them. Anyway, though, when do you think uh, that you and Richard will go back to Europe perpetually and tour? Or, or, or is the recent changes in the world hindering you from choosing that? You know, rising inflation, tensions between, um, you know, East and West, Ukraine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, no, family is what's keeping us here right now. Yeah. And one hundred percent. Yeah. No, no, that's not entirely true. It's two things keeping us here: family and inertia. Because I keep saying, hey, you don't have to sacrifice family, but we can leave this house behind. Um, I have found, folks, the perfect RV. I have found it. We know where it is. It is reasonably <laughs> priced. I am ready to write the check today. Um, and it's like pulling Jen's, it's like pulling teeth to get her to engage with it. When, you know, a couple of months ago, she was so excited. And what she has said so far, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, if I'm putting words in your mouth, is, I'm so settled. Everything's where it is. I've got my chickens. I've got my glass studio. I've got my dogs. I've got my forest. I can walk in. I, I, I just raspberries. can't give all of that up. You've got your best friend from high school who you've reconnected with now and is your best friend once again. Hey, morning. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, yeah, what, where, where do you think in any pie? Um, yes, all of that. Yeah. Because that, that RV is going to get sold. And I'm going to be really sad when it does because it is freaking perfect. We went to an RV show last week, uh, which I think we decided we were going to do it when Jen was still excited. And then she just kind of went along with it afterwards because I don't think she's very excited anymore. And we actually found not that model, but an adjacent model. And we sat in that thing for 10 or 15 minutes and said, yeah, we could totally live in this. Uh, and I was like, oh, good. That means we'll actually move forward on buying this now before somebody else buys it. But we still haven't. Well... Part of it is it's in California. Yes, but that was the whole plan. That um, our brother-in-law, who is very mechanically inclined, knows all the ins and outs. All he has to do is take a 40-minute drive, go check this out, talk the guy down, because he loves wheeling and dealing, and then we buy it, and then we fly down, um, do whatever needs to be done with the brother-in-law's help, and then drive it back home. This was actually Jen's plan, but this was back when she was kind of excited, and I think her excitement has significantly cooled. I'm a little scared. Go on. It could be a lemon. Well, th that's why we. That's why we have. I'm trying not to use names. <coughs> uh, yeah, I was just say Ron. I mean, there's a lot of Rons in California. <laughs> so many Rons in California. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think anybody will find him. Um, yes, yeah, so that's that's why we have Ron. I mean, we have we have our and and again, even if you if you're not get Ron to look at it, and we can get. I mean, there's very highly rated RV inspectors who will go out and look at it and tell us. That's what we did when we bought the Prius. Yeah. When we moved back from Europe to the States, we had to do everything so fast. We needed a car, uh, so we actually bought our 2010 Prius sight unseen, which we'd never done anything like that before. And the only thing that gave us the confidence to do it was the fact that we paid somebody a few hundred bucks, and they did a very comprehensive look. Well, these are the problems you have. This is what you'll need to do. Uh, this is my overall rating. And we're like, okay, that sounds good. Let's buy it. And it worked great. It did so we could do the exact same thing here. And we could do it double because we'd pay somebody a few hundred bucks to do it, and we'd have Ron do it as well. And you know Ron is the most picky, persnickety person in the universe. Yeah. So I don't think there's any reason to be afraid of getting a lemon. I don't want to say he's the most... That's not a very kind thing to say, but... No, I, I mean... I appreciate He's, a, he's his... very attention-oriented. He's yeah. a very... A, a detail-oriented. Yes. And you're not going to find anybody but Sam Elliott, honey pie. She's still scrolling, folks. There's got to be somebody. No, it's Sam Elliott and Ed Harris. You nailed it. And in your mind, you've, com you've conflated the two into one, and you're looking for this mystery man. By the way, for folks who don't know, Jen suffers from face blindness, um, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, if you ever come up to Jen at a convention on the Thursday, 
and you and you talk to her for ten or fifteen minutes, and you think you make a really strong connection. And uh, if you come back later that day, you'll find the connection continues because Jen recognizes you not by your face, but by the clothes you're wearing. But if you come back the next day wearing different clothes, uh, that is a real hurdle for you. You're like, okay, what can I look at? Oh, same earrings, same anything. Yeah. Yeah. Or it helps if you come back the next day wearing whatever you bought for me the first day. That, that helps too. Yeah. That is very helpful. <laughs> so. Okay, I must have talked to this person at some point. No, I can remember because we will have talked about yeah, whatever that, the thing is. Yeah, that'll spur. Yeah, it gives mm-hmm. me a, something to latch on to. Other than a face, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just my weird brain. Yeah. Well, you're not alone, remember? I mean, you didn't know that for most of your life. And, uh, I mean, Jen literally didn't know who Agent Smith was. Anybody in the Matrix could have been Agent Smith to her. They are all completely interchangeable. Um, you know, Hugo Weaving and all the background actors, because they were all dressed the same. Um, and, you know, to her, they all had the same face. Okay, but now I know his, him as Eldron, so... Oh, that helps, yes, I suppose. Um, or Elrond, not Eldron. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think your face blindness is uh, making you conflate these two actors you've seen your whole life in various and sundry westerns and putting them together because one of their names was Sam and the other one's last name was Harris. So you're taking Ed Harris and Sam Elliott and putting them into one person who you can't find because they don't exist. I think I'm thinking of Sam Beckett. Sam Beckett is a fictional character from Quantum Leap. I know, I know, but it's that same face. (laughs) All right. Anyway, though, um, I'm sorry. We were talking about... uh, Oh, uh, you're afraid it might be a lemon. Yeah. And I've defeated that argument soundly. Yes. So it's really more, you just don't, I mean, inertia is pulling you down. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. But, um, and also I've been a little busy the last couple of of weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's true. um, But yes, we should ask Ron to go take a look at that one. It's really a nice one. Uh, The layout is really nice. And it's only got 44,000 miles on it. But see, it's like, what, 15 years old? It's a 2002. God, it's 20 years old. Yes, it's 20 years old. But so it, is, it is from, I mean, I've read a lot of reviews about it, and it is from a time when Arby's were made to last. Yeah, that's it true. It is probably more reliable than a brand new one, a brand new 2022 that we would buy right now from everything that I've read about it. Well, we're not buying it. a 2022 no, one right first now. Not. We're not paying 100, I mean, no, Yeah, we're not. We're, we, we want to pay 20000 not 200000 <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, anyway, though. Uh, so, I'm sorry. That is way off track because wow. Marlon's original question was, when do we... Uh, when do we go back to tour Europe? And your response was, well, we're not not coming back because of tensions between East and West or because of Brexit or because any of those things. We're, we're not coming back because family keeps us here for now. Yes, and also it's, we're darn comfortable right now. It's yeah. so nice. That's iner- the inertia again. Yep. And that's what the inertia is keeping us from living on the road. I think also I scared the crap out of you because Jen and I only recently discovered how far apart we were on our expectations of this RV lifestyle. Because me, I'm like, okay, that's it. Lock up the house. We're not going to be back here for a year. Um, the chickens like, can fend for themselves. Yeah, well, let's find a new home for those chickens now. And Jen's like, okay, lock up the house. We're not going to be back for two weeks. That's about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm like... You don't have to, we don't have to, I mean, because I grew up on a boat. I grew up as a literal nomad. And for me, it's very exciting to get back to that idea of that lifestyle. This may be our whole game thing again. I was that? I want, I want deep and long and you want new and fresh. (laughs) Yes. Novelty versus mastery of our lives. Yep. I just need new stuff. Uh, So anyway, um, yeah, so it's probably not getting any time. I mean, I would be surprised, honestly, folks, if, uh, well, okay. There's one big thing. Mm. If in two years' time Trump is reelected 
I suspect we will be on the next plane out. Well, the next plane is rather soon, but yeah, that definitely... That will definitely change our attitude. That would make me feel like we live in a country that's that not wants your country that. Anymore. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want that. Yeah, you don't want to stand for that. You don't want to support that. We left when Bush got reelected. <laughs> yeah, boy, doesn't that seem a bit silly now? Yeah, and I mean, yeah, compared to how much worse things have gotten in that regard, but uh, sorry for any Trump listeners, we can agree to disagree. But uh, yeah, it's... I, I, I suspect that would definitely... Make us look at things very, very differently. Yeah. If that comes to pass. Yep. So that go is. Joe. Um, you know, what's the go Brandon? Uh, you know, Dark Brandon. Dark Brandon 2024. I all saw the way. a bumper sticker the other day. It was like, any thinking adult 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was the, their bumper sticker. Yep. All righty. So, anyway, so that's that. Then Top says, uh, ask me, because I'll say Jen has not. Have you seen the Pitch Meetings uh, YouTube series? Here's a link. If so, what do you think of them? I love them. Jen has never seen one. Hey, I sent you... Uh, we, we had some a recent Wasp Hornet stuff. And I saw a the uh, the person who does the pitch meeting videos, his name is Ryan George. And he has his own channel. And I sent Jen one. Did you, did you watch the funny video about the wasps in summer? No. What? I said it's, it. You, you've had it for like two weeks. I sent it to you. On Facebook? Yes, in Messenger. Apparently, Jen just ignores my messages. What's so? I apparently. get a few messages. Yeah, so apparently, see. good to know. What? Um, so I thought maybe Jen would have seen that and she could have said, well, oh, I really like that, or oh, I didn't appreciate his comedy. But no, I think he's great. And I love Pitch Meeting, which is odd. Hmm? Summer. Okay. Oh, I mean, no, you, it's, you have to actually listen. It's, it's way too deep. Um, if, if you'd like to know Top, you can ask again next month. It's two minutes and 26 seconds. We can All right, hold on, hold on a second. Pause, everybody. Let's see, where's the pause button? Oh, I'm in this mode. I can't pause. That's Why okay. am I running this one? Why don't you just run it and they can all see it and we can decide together all if right. it's funny. Um, will I get demonetized for that? Probably not. All righty, hold on a second. Demonetized what, uh, for that? What's what it mean? called? This is... Wasps at the end of right, summer. All uh, right, YouTube. Wasps at the end of summer. It, it'll, it'll get it. Oh. All right, so come over to the browser... And, um, let's see. Oh, will people hear? No, I mean, I, folks, you can listen to yourself. I am going to have to edit this a little bit out because I can't pause because I'm in the wrong program. Like a... Mm, okay, no, I've got to wait. Hold <laughs> on, we're going to watch it. We'll be right back. And then Jen will have an answer, Top. Well, Top, let me tell you, that was super easy. Barely an inconvenience. And it was also very tight. Uh, Jen just watched a, uh, was it Wasps at the end of summer? And then I gave her a movie pitch for uh, Harry Potter Deathly Hollows Part 1. Yes. Honey, uh, having never seen uh, Ryan George in the pitch meeting series 4, what did you think? I like his eyes. Okay, we're back to the eyes. And his eyebrows. Were they crinkly? I didn't even notice. No, but he's got the kind of eyes that lift up like, and they, they turn into like... Half moons? Like half moons and his eyebrows. And it's really nice. I've watched every pitch meeting there is. I never noticed that. Oh, I love it. Mm, well, there's a whole bunch more just waiting for you. Yep. Um, okay, well, yeah, I, I thought he was very clever and very funny and I liked it a lot. Yep. Um, enough to subscribe and want to watch more? Uh, or yes. not that much? Well, I don't know because you picked a movie I like, so... I don't yeah. know if he just does one out of no, no, hundred movies I he, like. He's done hundreds of them, and I mean most of the movies you'll know. I'm sure he's done Back to the Future at some point. I'm sure he's he's done everything. He's done every Star Wars movie. He's a whole poker, is he? Ah, uh, yes, he's very much a whole poker. Which is the interesting thing, um, because I tend not to respond well to persnickety, uh, and here I'm using it in a pejorative way. Uh, um, as opposed to earlier where I meant it in a positive way for Ron. <laughs> I meant to say he was attention-oriented or attention-detailed. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
like a uh, hundred cinema uh, cinema sins. I just hate that channel because it's like, oh, you're just trying to rob the joy out of it. And obviously, that's what pitch meeting is too. Just pointing out the absurdities or the inconsistencies or what have you. But it never feels like it's out of malice. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a joy there. You get the impression that really underneath Ryan George, the actor who's writing and doing these things, still loves them. Um, you know, and uh, and you know, it, it is kind of laughing with the movie instead of at the movie. That's what it feels like to me. Um, and often, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I could probably poke holes in 90% of the holes he poked. And like, well, yeah, you're very conveniently ignoring this establishing scene or this, that, or the other thing. But still, he makes good points. And yeah, wildly entertaining. When I first, it's, I, I was aware of them for a long time, but I never watched them because I hate his, um, the uh, thumbnails he uses, where he just takes characters in the movie and gives them like gigantic eyes. Oh, yeah. That has that nothing to do weird. with anything. And I saw that forever, and I thought, oh, whatever that is, that is just an active turnoff. That is the worst thumbnail I've ever seen. But at some point, I ended up seeing one of them, thought it was so great, that then I immediately do what I often do when I find a new channel. And I recommend, Top, if you enjoy the channel, you do this too, go to his channel and, um, you know, his personal one, where he does the non-movie pitch stuff, and sorted by date, oldest first. Because he's been making videos since he was a teenager. And he's been trying all kinds of stuff over the years. It took him 10 years of, of just you know keeping at it until he found this formula that works so well, and that is now, I would imagine, has very likely made him rich. I, I cannot imagine that he is not uh, pulling in you know at least a half a million, if not a million dollars a year, uh, between sponsorships and you know uh, YouTube ad revenue. And deservedly so, because they are wildly entertaining. And uh, to me... Yeah, they're being critical of movies while still ex exuding a real strong love for them. So I've always appreciated that. And do you have anything more to say about it, having just seen two? No. Okay. I'm just impressed. And I love that he, this is something he loved and he stuck with and he honed his craft and he's become great. And that's just awesome. That is. So many people just think, oh, I'll just be great after trying something once or yeah. twice. And uh, this is just another example of people working really hard and hope, you know. Re reaping the success of that yeah. effort. I would not suggest anybody do that on my channel because all my old stuff looks horrible and there's nothing good about it when I was filming on an iPhone 4. But still... Yeah, but you've been honing your craft. I, I've been trying. I've yeah. been trying. Okay. And I think that was it. And now it's oh, time... Dang it. Oh, shoot. This whole time... All right. There we go. Yes. Words of... Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I'm missing. There's a big gaping hole in Jen's words of wisdom. She hasn't um, uh, given us the words of wisdom mm. yet. Dang it, I have no so, words of wisdom. Uh, we'll have to be right back, folks. And I'm. All right, I'll be right back. Or no, I mean, from your section, uh, I'm just going to continue this sentence as if there was no pause at all, because I'm just that good. So, what do you know? Hey, Jen has some words of wisdom after all. Honey, go for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is a quote by Matt Haig, who I think is a really lovely writer. Anyway, the future is unknown, the present is solid, the future is abstract. Ruining the present by worrying about the future is like burning your most treasured possession simply because you might one day lose other possessions that you don't own yet. Mm, yes, that's good. It's a bit circuitous. Got to work that logic out, but I completely agree. All right. Okay. Well, there you go, folks. There are some words of wisdom for Jen. But now, what you've all been waiting for, doggies. Oh, my gosh. You didn't tell me there's doggies. Of course there is. We took a month off, because we, uh, but we do have some dogs now. Uh, you remember that Matt, who apparently I ref repeatedly referred to as Lance, <laughs> uh, wrote in earlier asking for advice about Beagle specifically. That's your dog name, Matt. 
There you go. There, yep, yep. That's what that's what your puppy knows you as, Matt. Or um, thanks for the beagle answers and tips. Although you kept calling me Lance in true Rotto fashion, Jen <laughs> asked to keep us posted on the new adventure. So I'm happy to say we now have a beagle girl pup named Doro. Oh, lovely! The news about the 4,000 orphan American Amer- uh, beagles also reached our part of the world, but unfortunately, rescuing them was not possible as we live in Bruges. I love Bruges. Uh, Jen's favorite uh, Feld game and one of her favorite cities. Yep. Dora was the smallest and most shy pup in the nest, but our daughter fell in love instantly, or perhaps, and therefore, my our daughter fell in love instantly, and chose her without hesitation. She's now 11 weeks old, has been with us for over a week, uh, although... Stop reading, give me the picture. I gotta read the whole thing, I, I gotta paint the, the picture for the people listening. God. Although still very shy, she follows us everywhere, lays her head on our feet, and falls asleep whenever we sit or stand. She seems to have found comfort and joy in our little family. I've added <laughs> some pictures of Doro as attachments, warning She's accused a button. Ah! If I recall correctly, there are three pictures. Are scroll, you prepared? scroll. Here we go. Oh my goodness! There's nothing cuter than a beagle puppy. Uh, it's uh, tough to beat. Oh, I want her. Mm-hmm. I want her very much. You can't have us come visit, Matt. You can't trust her. Nope. I will stick a beagle in my pocket. Yep. Oh, so cute. Now, is there a little bit of clouding in the eye, or is that just a reflection? Because it seems like you didn't mention it, but in all the pictures, the <laughs> uh, left eye. As kind of like some discoloration. She, she also has a little bit there. I think it might be just it, a it trigger be a reflection the light. or something like that, or there's something just yeah. off camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, insanely adorable. Oh, My I need goodness. that. Oh. That's a very dangerous bunch of pictures to send, quite frankly, Matt. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep calling you Lance now because of that. <laughs> okay. And meanwhile, the old stalwart uh, Nigel sent some pictures oh. of Charlie and Skye doing their best Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> They're saying, I. Don't know any Statler and Waldorf. Of course, they were the old men in the balcony in the Muppet Show. Uh-huh. So these look like two old men in the balcony in the Muppet Show. Yep, very and jowly. Yes, they are very jowly and uh, very oh. self-satisfied and looking great uh, out on a walk at the pond. So that is very Lovely. nice. Thank you, Matt, and thank you. Um, geez, you're every month, Nigel. You take one month off, Nigel, and I completely forget you. It's because um, we've thrown another lance in there. Yep, there we go. It's all gotten confused. And so now we'd go into spoilers about uh, Star Trek No Way Home and um, you know how emotionally impactful it was. Even Jen remembered some scenes, which is actually saying something. But instead, uh, if you stuck around this long, folks, we are going to get deep into it. Uh, let's see. Oh, wait. No, I need to open it. Not there. Not there. Oh, I see what's happened. All right. I need to... Copy this hyperlink, paste it into the browser, and um, here we have the political compass. Okay, and so now we're gonna. I've already done this, as I said earlier. Jen's gonna do it now. We will record her thinking about her answers and all of that, and then we'll compare her final results with mine. And bear in mind, though, we might take out all and just skip right to that end. So um, we might skip right now. Here we go. Oh, wait. Oh, no. But of course, if we didn't skip it, I totally forgot. We haven't skipped it yet. So anyway, don't need the ad. <laughs> Honey pie. Um, so, a, hey, there's no wrong answers. So question number one, six pages. Ooh. If economic globalization is inevitable, it should primarily serve humanity rather than the interest of transnational corporations. Strongly agree. Yes, we have a four. Uh, we can do agree, strongly agree, disagree, or strongly disagree for people who are listening. You can play along at home. What do you think? If you're with other people in the car, pause and discuss. Next up, uh, honey, 
I've always support my country, whether it's right or wrong. Mm, no. You, you, okay, so you disagree. Will I, you strongly disagree or just disagree? I will disagree. Disagree. All right. Uh, next up. No one chooses their country of birth, so it's foolish to be proud of it. Strongly disagree, no, disagree, sorry. agree. Alexa, sure stop. Um, uh, agree or strongly agree. No one chooses their country of birth. No, It's I, foolish to be proud of it. Well, no, I think that you spend your life in it, and so you can become proud of what it is mm-hmm. um, along the way. Okay. But they're saying... So is that a disagree or strongly disagree? But the question is, do you, just based on... That's a hard one to answer. Do you agree or disagree that it's foolish to be proud of your country of origin? No, I don't So you disagree? Agree. I disagree. But not strongly disagree? Yes. Okay. Next up. Our race has many superior qualities compared with other races. No, I strongly disagree. Strongly disagree. People are people. Yes. The enemy... Yeah, we are all... We have the exact same DNA. I mean, it's so inconsequential. It's so... Anyway. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Mm. I think it's nice to have common ground. And Mm. you can always start a friendship based on common ground. So I'm going to go ahead and agree. Okay. Military action that defies international law is sometimes justified. I disagree. All right. There is now a worrying fusion of information and entertainment. I strongly agree. Strongly agree. Very worried. Okay, next page. Um, All right, what do we got here? People are ultimately divided more or less by class than nationality. They're they're ultimately divided more by class. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Why do I put that in there? Yes. Than by nationality. Yeah. People are ultimately divided more by class than by nationality. Do you have more in common with your fellow countrymen and women? Or do you have more in common with people around the world who are in your same um, socioeconomic status or class? Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to say, I'm I'm sorry, but I guess I have more in common with people in my class than by my nationality. People are ultimately divided more by class. So you agree it's more about class than nationality. Would you agree or strongly? I'm going to agree. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's true because we've traveled a lot and I find commonalities with people everywhere. Yeah, of course. Okay. All righty. Controlling inflation is more important than controlling unemployment. Um, I think inflation hurts a lot of people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if they gave you the mostly easy ones on the first page. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's saying helping rich people is more important than helping poor people. And I don't think that's the case. So I guess I'm going to disagree. Right. Inflation control is more important. All right. You disagree, but not strongly. Right. Okay. Because corporations cannot be trusted to voluntarily protect the environment, they require... I strongly agree. Strongly agree. Yes, and let's stop calling them individuals while we're at it. Uh They are not individuals. For each according to his ability, to each according to his need is fundamentally a good idea. Mm, Oh boy, that sounds like communism. Gasp. (gasps) Hmm. Yes, I agree. All right. Is it strongly or just agree? I, I think I just agree. You just agree. Yep. All right. I know you probably strongly agree. The freer the market. But I'm also coming from my Protestant back. My sure, back. fair. Yes. Yeah. So we've mostly been on the same page. The only one we've diverged uh, was friend of my friend is an enemy. 
or enemy of enemy is my friend. I don't think it's as simple as that. That's very black and white and reductive. Yes, uh, but these are all hard questions that are you can sure, sure, sure. any which way. There are no. I'm sure that's what the header said at the beginning. There are no wrong answers. It's just you know, just trying to get a sense where you are. The freer mar- the market, the freer the people. Agree, disagree, strongly or not. That means no regulations. So environmental issues are not being controlled or anything. So I am going to say disagree. Disagree. It's a sad reflection on our society that something as basic as drinking water is now bottled, branded consumer product. I agree. In fact, you know what? I strongly Strongly agree. agree. Land shouldn't be a commodity to be bought and sold. Wow. This this one stopped me in my tracks the most. Yeah. On the whole test. I think that's a very interesting thought. And of course, that's how the Native Americans did it. Although they had their own tribes and their own tribal lands Mm -hmm. um, and their territories. But if we didn't buy and sell land, yeah, I don't know how that would... Would we rent it from the government? So everybody's house would be sitting on government land? And then they, they the could government keep... is a reflection of the people. If the government owns it, arguably we all own it. Yeah, that's interesting. And in theory, everything underneath it and above it. So you're talking about the airwaves. You're talking about any mm. resources in, under the land. I suppose so. Wow. Although I don't think that's probably within the the remit of this particular question, but still, it's a fair point too. Um. Agree or disagree? Land should not be a commodity that is bought and sold. I disagree. You disagree, so but not strongly. Yep. That is ultimately where I came down to. I mean, I wanted to agree with that very much, but uh, practicality issues, of course, are yeah. one thing. Yeah, you can want it all day, but it doesn't matter. But that's it doesn't ask, um, will you advocate to make it? It's, it's, in a perfect world, should it be that way? And maybe it should be. But then I just think about, you know what? Um... Every species owns land. Uh, it's not just humanity and our greed and avarice. Um, you know, we watch enough nature shows yeah. that every species of animal—it's—it's it's nature to um, you know say, well, this is ours. Yep. That's our boundary. We're going to piss all over this uh, <laughs> uh, countryside, so you know, you know. So, but that was a tough one. Um, it is regrettable that many personal fortunes are made by people who simply manipulate money and contribute nothing to their society. I agree. Agree, but not strongly. Well, some people are doing really good with their money, like the owner of Patagonia, who just donated mm-hmm. the whole company to fund people who are fighting climate change. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree that it's regrettable, but in, in every instance, no. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just agree. Okay. Protectionism is sometimes necessary in trade. Yeah, I'm going to agree. Okay. That would be like, oh, we're trying to engage in trade, but we're going to put tariffs on your imports to yeah. protect our home. Yeah. Um, industries and such. Yeah, okay. I know. I, understand. I agree. I do the agree. only social responsibility of a company should be to Wrong. deliver profit you don't to even shareholders. Have to read that? No. Strongly, strongly disagree. disagree. The rich are too highly taxed. I strongly disagree. All right. Those with the ability to pay should have access to higher standards of medical care. I do not agree with that either. And Does do that I agree? strongly, strongly disagree? Strongly so? 
government should penalize businesses that mislead the public. Yes, agree strongly. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of these are such gimmies. I mean, uh, who is going to say no? Um, well, I, I guess really hardcore extreme libertarians would say no. The market will penalize them if if the government if a company misleads, people will find out, and the market will self-correct. So I suppose there would be people who would disagree with that. A genuine free market requires restrictions on the ability of predator multinationals to create monopolies. And they mean multinational corporations. Yeah. That it can't truly be a free market without some regulation, basically. Yeah, I agree. All right. Agree or strongly? I'm going to agree. All right. I'm agree. Continuing on to page three of six. Abortion, when a woman's life is not threatened, should always be illegal. I strongly disagree. All authority should be questioned. I agree. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I disagree. Taxpayers should not be expected to prop up any theaters or museums that could not survive on a commercial basis. I disagree. But not strongly. Okay? Yeah. All right. Schools should not make classroom attendance compulsory. I disagree. So you're saying that it should be a requirement that children go to school. Yes. You are disagree. Disagree. Okay. All people have their rights, but it is better for all of us that different sorts of people should keep to their own kind. Strongly disagree. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. In this day and age, honestly. Um, okay. Good parents sometimes have to spank their children. Spanking. Thank you, Spanky. Yeah. Um, that's a hard one. I don't have children. I know. Uh, there are a few more children-based questions. And I was like, boy, can there just be a, I don't have children and I fundamentally don't care? But still, um, it, it is a reflective yeah, of your view. Yeah, we're talking about the violence in society. Is, there, is violence acceptable in any way, shape, or form? Yes. I mean, there's no denying uh, spanking is a relatively benign but still legitimate form of violence. I'm trying to think. If I was a parent, would I accept absolutely no physical punishment? I can remember when I was babysitting, I, I did what I called paddling your bottom. Mm-hmm. That would be a spank. I know, but it wasn't it wasn't hard. It was just a little paddle at the bottom. Well, the reality is every kid squeals and the spankings, I mean, unless there's a, I mean, I'm going to assume, obviously everybody agrees that there should be no, you know, corporal punishment, you know, really extreme hardcore abuse. And this is more of a question of, well, is a gentle paddle okay? The kid will <laughs> scream like it's... Yeah. Like they're getting the belt, but... You know, I'm going to go ahead and project forth that we live in a society where violence is uh, is just not tolerated mm-hmm. because we have... There's we, just no need for it. There's there. no need for it. We can communicate. We can have timeouts or right. we can have other punishments that are not violence. So All right. So is that a I'm disagree gonna... or strongly disagree? Good parents. I disagree. All right. It's natural for children to keep some secrets from parents. How old are these Children. Children. Anybody under 18? Sure. Well, of course it's natural. So do you agree or strongly? I I agree that it's natural. Possessing marijuana for personal use should not be a criminal offense. I agree. Just agree? I don't... Yeah, it's not my bandwagon. All right. A prime function of schooling should be to equip the future generation to find jobs. The prime function... And I would imagine the implied alternative is to make for a more well-rounded individual. Yeah. 
I think well-rounded individuals would be the the prime function. And but, finding jobs is second. Well, but being able to support yourself and to um, contribute to society is certainly a good reason to be educated. So you must agree or disagree strongly or not. The prime function of schooling should be to equip the future generation to find jobs. It's hard. Well, currently the prime function of schooling is to <laughs> allow parents to go to work. <laughs> so um, that's all about jobs too, isn't it? Um, find jobs. I I would like to project ahead again. Right. That I don't are, know what that means, project ahead. Meaning not take a look at where we are today, but to think towards the future that Well sure. I mean these are all this all of these are that's why, you know, in the land when I had to take away, well, forget about the fact whether it's practical or not. In a perfect world. Yeah. The way things should be, because this is supposed to be a reflection of where you land on what your values are. So that yeah, projecting forward, you should be doing that with everything. If, if by, your, by your terminology. So, the prime function of schooling should be to equip the future generation to find jobs. Disagree, then. Disagree. Okay. All right. Uh, people with serious inheritable disabilities should not be allowed to reproduce. Well, that's... <sighs> See, if we equip them with minds of their own so that they can think things through, they would make a decision probably not to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have to... As opposed to... to trying to train them to find a job? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then we wouldn't have to... Be preventing them from reproducing. Um, yes. Okay, I agree that seriously... seriously you, so you agree they should not be allowed to reproduce? That there should be some... inheritable dis disabilities. Right, okay. Okay. All right, you agree that ser whatever serious inheritable disabilities means, that means the government should step in and say, you are not allowed... But to you hear, pass your DNA on to the next generation. Yes, but here, adopt this child who needs love and okay. attention. The most important thing for children to learn is to accept discipline. Oh, gosh, disagree. <laughs> but not strongly? I strongly disagree. All There's right. a heck of a lot of things that are more important than that. There are no savage and civilized people. There's only different cultures. Yeah, strongly agree. There are only different cultures. All right. Those who are able to work and refuse the opportunity should not expect society's support. Mm. Oh, this is where my <laughs> Protestant uh, work ethic stuff work comes in. Work ethic yep. comes in, yeah, which I've been getting better about over the years. I, um, there's no right or wrong answers here. These are all just... We're able to work and refuse the opportunity. Well, what are they doing with their time? Are they contributing to their communities in ways that it just doesn't... Um, Could be. Create income? Could be. Doesn't say that. The question has nothing to do with the... the it's question. only a judgy, judgy comment. I don't like judgy, judgy comments. Right. Yes, this is a... Yeah, um, you are not worthy of our support unless you fulfill this requirement, is what this question is. Well, okay, I'm going to disagree. Disagree. All right. When you are troubled, it is better not to think about it. Keep busy with more cheerful things. No, I disagree. First-generation immigrants can never fully integrate oh. in their new country. No, I disagree. Just, just not strongly. Right. I don't know. I, I don't mean, know you sound very strongly, but you're, but you're just saying disagree. But you sound pretty no, strongly. I don't know any first-generation. All right, immigrants. so you, all right, all right. What's good for the most successful corporation is always ultimately good for all of us. Strongly disagree. All right. I think that's been proven that it is not. 
No broadcasting institution, however independent its content, should ever receive public funding. Uh, strongly disagree. All right. Yes, we come from the land of the BBC. Uh, well, and PBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love PBS. Our civil liberties are being excessively curbed in the name of counterterrorism. Well, I have to agree. I hate all that crap at the airport. Okay. All of the theater of your and those in, those in those uh, getting in the way of your civil liberties. Do they? No, they don't. But it's a pain in the ass. Well, the question is about your civil liberties being excessively curbed. Hmm. It isn't. Your um, civil liberties are being inconvenienced. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Um, and just because I can't carry all the liquids around that I'd like to, I guess that's not really something to get up in an excessive about. curve of your civil liberties. No, I just, I need to carry this shampoo everywhere. Yes. And this conditioner and this nail file. <laughs> and don't even get me started on my knitting needles. The constitution guarantees me the right to carry these knitting needles. All right. Um, okay. I guess I'm going to disagree because the word excessively is. Yeah. Uh, so I've, yeah, I've, yeah. Okay. A significant advantage of a one-party state is that it avoids all the arguments that delay progress in a democratic political system. Significant advantage of a one-party state. This is basically saying, oh, yeah. in China, they get stuff done because... Or in Russia, you get stuff done. Or whatever done. it might be. Yes. Yeah. An um, autocratic state is yeah, more efficient no. than a democratic state. Well, that is probably true, but in ways that we do not wish to be more efficient. Right, but they didn't, it's, not, it's not a judgment on the whole thing. It's just saying, is it a significant advantage? Does the one-party state have an advantage over the democratic state? Well, as the founders have said... That's looking back, not forward. It may not be... The best thing that's possible, but it's the best thing we've got. So I'm mm. going to disagree. You're going to disagree. Okay. Yeah. All right. Although the electronic age makes official surveillance easier, only wrongdoers need to be worried. Disagree. Okay. The death penalty should be an option for the most serious crimes. Uh, you and I have discussed this a lot, but I've come around to thinking that it isn't. It shouldn't be. Okay. Although the thing that I don't like is supporting people who are bad, really bad, <laughs> Um, but there's been well, there's so more, many... There's more along those lines. There's... Okay. Uh, in a civilized society, must one must always have people no. above to be obeyed and people below to be commanded. I strongly disagree. Abstract art that doesn't represent anything shouldn't be considered art at all. <laughs> strongly disagree. In criminal justice, punishment should be more important than rehabilitation. I strongly disagree. See, that's what... You know, yeah. It is a waste of time to try to rehabilitate... Some criminals. I don't know. I don't know enough about all of the criminals out there. But I think rehabilitation is probably a good idea for everybody. So I'm going to certainly disagree. Maybe do I strongly disagree? Hmm, let me think. Uh, no, I'm just going to disagree. So I interrupted you because I knew these were coming. But I think you were about to say something else about the... Uh, um, was it the death penalty or... Yeah, I, or... Or no, there's something else about incarceration, and I interrupted you, and I shouldn't have. But oh, you've forgotten by now anyway. Sorry about that. Okay, the business person and the manufacturer are more important than the writer and the artist. Oh, I, I do strongly disagree with that. Okay. Biased much? Yes. <laughs> I might be an artist. Uh, mothers may have careers, but their first duty is as homemakers. 
Okay. First duty for the ladies, always a homemaker. Yeah, I wonder if that shouldn't just say parents. Uh, that would make it uh, a more interesting decision. This is mothers can have careers, but their first duty must always be to the home. I'm going to disagree. Right. Although I think once you bring life into this world, your first duty is to that life. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, well, hey, you chose that. The mother could argue my career is my way of ensuring that. That's true. Okay. Multinational companies are unethically exploiting the plant genetic resources of developing countries. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, I almost wonder. That seems like a like a poorly sent, constructed sentence. I'm thinking because there's a lot of stuff going on. I mean, I thought this was Monsanto, yeah. you know, like kind of gobbling up, you know, literally putting copyrights on DNA fragments and stuff like right, that, and which making is making seed that will not reproduce, so right, and all that kind of ridiculous stuff. But, but I then, think actually what they're saying is that they're going to the rainforest and they're developing new drugs from spiders there. Or, and then again, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it could be that. But still, you're gonna say agree. Even though it's a little unclear what the uh, writer means on this one. Yeah. Okay. Making peace with the establishment is an important aspect of maturity. No. I agree. It dis- you know what? Strongly disagree. Strongly disagree. Yeah. I think Fight the power. Establishment is who we are. I mean, it's just a, a group umbrella that covers us all. So, no. So making peace with all of us is not mature? No. It's, it's allowing some other group to s- say what society really needs. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think we're on to the last page now. Uh, nope, five or six. Sorry. Uh, uh, all right. If you uh, go... Oh, okay. All right. So these are... Yeah. Oh, this is all religion. Okay. Uh, astrology accurately explains many things. Strongly disagree. <laughs> you cannot be moral without being religious. Strongly disagree. Charity is better than social security as a means of helping the genuinely disadvantaged. Strongly disagree. Some people are naturally unlucky. Strongly disagree. It is important that my child... Naturally child's... unlucky. Well, that's a superstition, like some of the other things on okay, this list. Right. One would might look no, at it. Strongly disagree. It is important that my child's schools instill religious values. Strongly disagree. Six. Hey, sex, sex time. Sex outside of marriage is usually immoral. When would it be not immoral? When you're married, that you should no, only have sex when sex, you are married. No, so sex outside of marriage is usually immoral. Yeah. They're they're not just saying they're saying at some points you can have sex outside of marriage and it will be moral. And when would that be? I just I want to know. know. I just they uh, are not would that forthcoming be if you're with that information. A really um, highly paid pastor, and uh, people give you lots of I mean, money. And all then I it's got moral? is the question: Sex outside of marriage is usually immoral. Okay, well, I strongly disagree, but I just am curious when it what is they, moral. What was the uh, yeah. subtext of that question? Yep. The same-sex couple. But that's because I'm a thinking adult. Mm, mm. A same-sex couple in a stable, loving relationship should not be excluded from the possibility of child adoption. I strongly agree that they should not be excluded. Pornography depicting consenting adults should be legal for the adult population. Anything that has consenting adults is fine with me. Is that an agree or a strongly agree? Um, it's an agree. All right. Oops. Uh, what goes on in a private bedroom between consenting adults is no business agree about of that, the state. Yep. No one can feel naturally homosexual. Um, well, I don't know because I don't have any... 
personal experience with that, but I'm going to say strongly disagree. All right. These days, openness Wait, about... read that sentence. No one... No one can feel naturally homosexual. There is a very commonly prescribed idea on the right that it's all fake, that it's all nurture... Anytime anybody thinks they're gay, it's because of TV or because of teachers or because of societal influences telling them that they're gay because mm-hmm. it's not natural. Oh, it's totally natural. Both yeah, of course, it's brain it. chemistry, obviously. It's yeah. stupid to say otherwise, but a lot of people believe that. I apologize. It's it's incorrect to say otherwise. But anyway, so strongly disagree. Last one. These days of openness about sex have gone too far. Um... These days, openness about sex. No, and well, we lived in Europe. They're a heck of a lot more open about it there. <laughs> so we still got a ways to go. Yeah. So is that a disagree or a strongly disagree? I'm just gonna say disagree. All right. Now let's see where you end up on the compass. All right. You are smack dab right where I am. Oh. You are ever so slightly um, uh, authoritarian left. You're very close to the center of the spectrum. How could I possibly be authoritarian anything? Because you're not looking at it. Um, basically, another way to put this is um, libertarian. The more libertarian you are, the more you are saying, no, make government go away. Government has no business. Government shouldn't exist. The government should have no function other than raising money for military, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 um, and keeping the roads Whatever, you know, wherever they are on the spectrum. The further down libertarian you are, the more you want an abolition of government uh, having any impact on anything. The more you are authoritarian, the more you are of a mind that, you know what? No, we have a government to set the rules in addition to pave the roads. So this is saying you're just ever so slightly pro-government... yeah, state-imposed collectivism versus voluntary regional collectivism, mm. um, and of course you're a little bit on the left, but not super on the left. You're, I mean, you're probably almost within a couple of pixels of where I am. I think I was a tiny bit further left than you, but I and still the same. Uh, yeah, roughly the same height. Maybe I was a tiny bit uh, higher than you as well. And you said whoever asked this question, you thought I was guessing they're there? probably um, Daniel or not? Is it Daniel? Oh, I've totally forgotten now, Daniel. It's Daniel. Uh, I'm betting Daniel is somewhere down more in the slightly on the left, but further down on the libertarian scale. That would be my guess. I'm not quite sure. Uh, he could be a, maybe a little bit on the right, but my guess is much deeper into libertarian, hmm. government bad. Um, you know, we're all in it for ourselves. He probably said charity is better than Social Security because that's government. You know, that kind of stuff. Okay. But again, that's very presumptive. I mean, I don't really know. Uh, I, I wouldn't presume to know, but you asked me to guess, so I guessed. So both Jen and I ended up in the ever sl- just slightly left of center, slightly on the state-imposed collectivism <laughs> rather than voluntary regional collectivism of authoritarian versus libertarian. Um, right. And I think there is some... like Oh, oh, that's interesting. Right, okay. So let's take a contrasting nations. China is uh, ever... Oh, right. yeah. North Korea is oh, very oh. far left, but it's authoritarian as you can get. China's kind of center authoritarianism. Saudi Arabia is far to the right and super authoritarian. Singapore, all the way to the right and super authoritarian. Um, and then uh, Uruguay and Switzerland are very conservative, far to the right, but more on the libertarian side. Um, Uruguay is currently rated the world's 44th most free economy and a leading Latin American light in social freedom from gay and lesbian rights to legalization of cannabis. Uh, Uruguay is, but, you know, so they're actually saying they're very far 
on the right. That doesn't sound very right to me. Um, Switzerland also has high rating as a libertarian economy. All right, all right. Political company. All right, so. All right, what is this? So, your political companies. Social What? Hold on a second. Oh, no. We're both the exact same. Well, no more supersessions. We're both the exact same because this is just the freaking example. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Okay. okay. Let's go down and see what Well, I now I got to do the whole thing. But honestly, I'm going to imagine I'm fairly close to Jen. Um, Jen is way down here, uh. way far. So I, if I'm identifying the questions correctly, I was a bit higher on this. I would definitely be higher. When I thought that I was ever so slight, I was like, oh, that's a bit surprising. But no, I guess so. I am actually a very big fan of big government. I'm a huge big government guy. I'm all about uh, federal versus states. Um, because I, I think the government reflects all of us. And um, that's why we have it, to keep things um, you know that we agree as a society making sure that that's what we stick to so anyway so Jen came way down here crap now I've got to do this myself but I'm gonna be somewhere in here but now I've failed you Daniel oh my goodness that is so embarrassing all right and then there's some other stuff about something so we're gonna pause for a second and I'm gonna do it really quick and we're gonna come back here for mine um, but I'm not going to make you go through all the questions. This will be the second time I've done it, and now I'll really get my score after seeing that Jen is, um, what is this? It looks like a 10 by 10 scale. So you are, One, two, you're not quite 80% to the far left, and you are not, you're at 60% towards libertarian. Um, away from authoritarian. Yeah. Okay. That surprised me that I was in authoritarian. Well, yes. Um, well, like I said, it surprised me too, but just because probably neither of us are. So hang on, folks. I'll do this myself. All righty. Okay, folks, I rapid-fired my way through it. Here is Jen. She is at negative 7.38 and negative 6.05. And we were both a bit surprised when Jen heard some of my answers that I am a negative 7.38 and negative 6.97. So we're still... All right, we're both exactly equally far left. What? what? It's not showing up on the screen. Oh, it is? Yeah. I'm just looking at the numbers. We are both equally... Oh, I don't need that. Um, far left at a negative 7.38, but Jen is more authoritarian than me because I'm at uh, a little bit farther down the liberal scale, libertarian scale. And honestly, that makes no sense to me. If you saw my answers, I was definitely more along the line of, I I was a bit less concerned about, uh, surveillance and stuff like that than, um, so yeah, I'm a bit surprised by that, but we're both, we're, we're both, uh, what was it within the margin of error? I would say we're both pretty damn close and there's only a few things we disagreed on. So anyway, there you go, Daniel. That's where we are way down there in the bottom left, pretty much within a cup, within a decimal point of each other. And, uh, hopefully that was interesting. Hopefully, uh, that was interesting for anybody listening. Uh, maybe those were some thought provoking questions for other people too, but that's it, folks. We are Dunsville with the uh, question and answers. So let me just scroll back down ah! to a picture of a cute puppy. <laughs> Get even closer. Oh. And um, as always, folks, thanks for sending those questions in. And send in more because the sponsorship for the show is back on the menu, baby. And so we need questions to questions at rotto.com. You see? All kinds of interesting stuff can happen. So wouldn't you like to get involved? And as always, thank you very much. 
for um, listening. And also, a special thank you to people who support the show directly. Yep. Thanks for all the questions, everybody. Talk to you later. Yes. So long and bye-bye. And again, thank you. <laughs>